Welcome to day two of the I Am Talks Challenge Road 2018 Super Specials. Alright, team, welcome along to day two of the Challenge Rote 2008 Super Specials of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James. I'll say you go, mate. Congratulations, you got it right. Yeah, uh, I keep saying Kona in the intro. I have to take, yesterday it was three takes, today it was only two. Good. So I'm improving. Good, tomorrow you'll be fine. Mate, you know, by, just by, progress in life, that's why I Tuesday, you'll have it nailed. It'll be sharp as. So, John, you got, you got second in the race you told me. I did get second. Uh, didn't have a lot of fight. Now, I wanted to have a good hard run and then. I got a bit of a lead. It was a bit, a bit, a bit shambolic at the start because I've got my memory at times is not the best. No, you can old. And we're standing on the start line, and, I'm <laughs> and we're facing the wrong direction. <laughs> oh, no, that's not and good. They, they sort of just say, "Okay, away you go." We th- we thought that's what they said in German, and uh, everybody's running the opposite direction. So I said to the guys, "Looks like we're going <laughs> that way." <laughs> Sharp. And took off, and I was in the lead pretty much straight away. And but the um, lead mountain biker just bolted oh no and out of sight and i'm leading and he zigzag out of uh Hippelstein. i was like oh, i hope i'm going the right way so first k was a little stressful and then a guy caught me up ran with him for a bit yeah and dropped him and about 4k and then uh started to blow a bit myself at 7k and he caught back up and he wanted a little bit more than I did. He wanted a little bit. He hadn't been working on a camp for the last week he and a half, John. He hadn't been on his feet all day. No, he, hadn't, he hadn't been doing interviews with pros for an audience, the global audience. Yeah. You know, you have it tough. I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by. The, the, the camp is brought to you by. Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And Tanya Pora. Good old Tanya Pora is good as well. And did we, have we got Alexandra on the show today or is that tomorrow? I'm going to put it in there, John. I'm not yeah, sure probably. if I have or not, but I'm, I'm going to put it in there. So Alexandra, one of the ladies from Tanya Pora. She, we did an interview with her at the expo. Uh, and we do a quick bit of yarn to her throughout the, today's show. Uh, today's show is an interview-packed show. So we went to the media briefing yesterday and we caught up with Lucy Charles and we also caught up with Laura Sedell. Uh, we also did an interview with an athlete, the disabled athlete. Yes, so He's uh, he's got his amputee from the knees down and on on, and only got one arm as well. So he's done Kona twice. Um, so you'll hear from him. Yep. Uh, and then we also caught up with this. So then yesterday we went along. The gold story of yesterday outside of triathlon was we went along to the uh, the Urgenda party. Urgenda party, yes. Yeah. And uh, we went checked out the expo and it started pouring with rain. And I was well underprepared with only a t-shirt. Went into the expo tent. Now selling these big bomber jackets for twenty euros, John. I was in there. I was looking for something for the kids or just something to buy, and it was reasonably pricey. A normal sort of. It was yep. not discount prices. And then these jackets, 20 euros. And, then, and, and they're not 20 euros. Normally you pay like 100 bucks for them, wouldn't you? Oh, you'd pay at least 150 euros for those. And someone brought up, I can't remember who brought up the point, but they did make a very good point. It probably was reflective of the fact that they thought it was going to be hot. Yes. You know, they thought, well, we're not going to sell jackets, you know, this time. And it was just convenient. And so basically at the Urgana party, about 10 of us had these yeah. new jackets on. <laughs> so yeah. it worked out well for them. Uh, so basically what's going to happen now is we're going to put on uh, Lucy Charles, Laura, Sadell, then we've got Joe, Fraser Cartmel, mm-hmm. uh, who's a cool interview as well. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we're just going to chuck some Epic Camp interviews and just some other interviews we did throughout the day. So that's pretty much it for us. We'll see you at the end of the show. Righty-ho, I've got Lucy Charles here making her debut at Road. 
Um, I know you're going to get lots of questions about how you're feeling, etc. But I want to know um, where the hell you've come from before triathlon, and were you tempted to go down the ITU path rather than long distance? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of people have said that. I kind of went straight in at the deep end. Uh, my first triathlon I entered was an Ironman. So um, I loved it so much when I finished that I kind of just kept doing them and I've continued to get better and better. But um, I still wouldn't say I've ruled out that distance. I'm kind of, I'm doing so well on the long stuff. It would seem hard to shorten down and go into the ITU's kind of circuit. But um, I feel like I'm still young enough to maybe experiment with that. So. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see what the future holds. How's, how's your run progressing? You know, I imagine you're probably tracking your times and training and stuff. How have you sort of seen it progress over the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, um, my first kind of gauge was like the park runs in the UK. So um, I'd use that as my 5K kind of time. And I've always been chipping away at that. So I've really got that kind of base speed at the beginning. Um, and then I also like to do the 10K as well. So I've seen that time come down. Um, and then the biggest gauge is like my half marathon time, really. So I've done a few of those and they've always been chipping away as well. So Give us some numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my fastest um, half marathon was off the bike in Samarin uh, not that long ago. So um, that was a 121, I believe. So, um, yeah, it's, it is really, really improving. Um, my 10K, I did a 34 low. Um, so there's definitely some runnability coming through. So um, I feel like it could be a weapon maybe in a few years' time. Have you been sub three yet on the run? Is, and is that your plan for Sunday? Um, I haven't yet. Um, I think 3.05 was my fastest in South Africa. So, um, yeah, who knows? I mean, if I don't need to run that quick, then, then I won't. But obviously, I believe I'm capable of a sub three if I need it. So 8.18 is not on the cards this year? <laughs> um, I mean, that time just seems so crazy. Um, I mean, if I'm ever within arm's reach, then I'm going to go for it. But... Um, I think it's going to be a pretty tough ask, to be honest. And what's the plan between, obviously, hopefully you go out there and spank it on the weekend. Between now and uh, Kona, what's, your, what's on your agenda? Um, so I'm looking to race Challenge Prague. Um, more for a bit of fun. I did it last year. I absolutely loved it. So that will be my next race. Um, and then I'll probably go into hiding and just train uh, really, really hard until Kona. And, um, yeah, that's that's the next big thing, really. And where do you base yourself when you coach? Have you been coached since day one or have you just sort of done it your way? Yeah, I mean, um, my partner, Reese is my coach. Um, we started out on this crazy triathlon journey at the same time. So he's always kind of been that guidance for me. He's got a sports science degree, so he does really know his stuff and he's always researching. So, um, yeah, he's my main guide, really, and, and I just follow his advice. So, yeah, he's been there the whole time for me. And UK-based or where are you based? Um, yeah, so I've been UK-based for the whole time leading into this race. I will go out and base myself at Club La Santa in Lanzarote leading to Kona. That's kind of like my second home. So, um, yeah, I'll do a good block out there before Kona. Awesome. You have a great race and uh, we look sort of forward to seeing you at the finish line. Thank you very much. I've got Laura Sedell, my, my former neighbour. How you going, mate? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? When did you get in? Got on yesterday. I've been tired, but I'm, I'm trooping through. Hey, um, the question I have to start with: the money's so much more this year. Does that change anything for you? Um, no, not really. Um, I mean, it, it's fantastic that that prize purse has gone up. You know, for the race that this is. Like, you, what did you get? You got second last year, didn't you? Yeah. So, what did you get prize money last year? Oh, do you know what? I can't actually remember. I'm hopeless. I don't actually look at that before the races and stuff. So, um. 
I mean, it's fantastic for the race. I think it's it's great what Challenge have done and the Collins Cup. I have to sort of give them give them credit for for helping out with that prize purse this year. Oh, is it what happened? Was it? Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think you know, it, it's fantastic. Um, does it change anything? Not really. You still still swim, bike, run, and you still got to compete against the other women on the start list and. Yeah, you know, it's a nicer cherry on top of the cake at the end of the day, um, depending on that result. But um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't actually change anything on the on the day. So, so last year you came along, you had a blinding result, you had a blinding race. I remember inter- interviewing you post-race and you are pretty much over the moon. <laughs> this year you've, you've been killing it. You've had such a successful season. What changes did you come into the race? What, what changes have I done into coming well, no, in? It just isn't like, you're, you're, you know, because obviously last year, well, I don't know if it was a shock yeah, to you, but yeah, you, you yeah. had the perfect day, you yeah. know. You'd been building to the event, yeah. and then you've kind of really continued on and just kept it at a certain level. So, what's different around your mindset as you look towards this year's race? Um, <laughs> yeah, difficult one. I mean, I mean, this this race means a lot to me. Um, even though you know it's only my third year here, but it's come pretty kind of set deep in in my heart of, of loving being here and you know wanting to have a good performance and yeah building off the back of the race I had last year you know I, I'd still put that down as one of my best performances uh, you know in, in my career so far regardless of the, the wins I've been lucky to have as well um you know you, you try and use that as confidence to say let's you know you know you have a bit of feel about knowing the course and it has that good feeling and that good vibe and and things like that um but I think also coming into this race and you know, having the results I had at you know I'm in New Zealand and I'm in Australia um I <laughs> you know it's a split decision but you know I've always almost got nothing to lose because I think like I said at the conference if you'd have told me that I'd have had those results sort of last year then I'd have probably yeah wouldn't have believed you and probably taken it and you know, even after winning Taupo, that was so emotional. I was like, right, let's end the season now. I'm done. <laughs> I'm finished. Quit while I'm ahead. Yeah, quit while I'm ahead. And then obviously with with Ironman Australia, I was like, yep, happy days. Let's uh, finish now. So, um, you know, I've had I've had a good start to the season. And um, uh, so, uh, yeah, come into this race kind of with nothing to lose. Um, but at the same time, that's not meaning I'm not wanting to win when I line up on the start line because this race means a lot. And... Um, We've changed a few things leading into this race um, in sort of my training, my build-up. So it's been a little bit unnerving because it's been different. It's been out of my comfort zone. Um, but it means, you know, again, sort of that opportunity to see what happens on race day and, and give it a shot and hopefully take some risks and put it all out there. In, in the media conference, they mentioned uh, you were a late, late starter to the sport. What age were you started when, as a pro? Uh, I started the sport at 29 and turned pro... Um, End of 2013, 2014, so I was 33, 34. Which is, is a late starter. You know, like, A, did you ever, well, I know there's always hope, but, you know, you've achieved some pretty amazing things, especially starting late in sport. Uh, are you, have you exceeded your expectations? Um, uh, probably, yes. Yeah, I don't think I ever, um, yeah, ever really thought about what I could achieve. It was that, that transition turning pro was, yeah, to see how good I could be, but probably never really thought of, that goal of winning a, a full distance race and and what could be and so you know the last three results with Taupo and then Ironman Australia both last year and this year has yeah far exceeded probably what I ever dreamed of and even you know even being here at Roth the last few years and and fourth in my first year second last year it's just uh yeah you have to kind of 
I have to remind myself and take take a step back and give myself a pinch to say, you know, slap yourself around the face and take it all in. This is a pretty cool, pretty cool journey. So you've won a few races now. Has winning taught you anything? That you want to win even more. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's that 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 feeling when you step into that onto the carpet at the finish line. It's just it's just an incredible feeling, and um, you kind of want that feeling over and over again. It. It's, you never have it for long enough in the moment of the race um, and you try and capture it and relive it and um, it, it makes it, it, it's a very addictive buzz that you get. Um, but, you know, I've also learned a lot from the, the awful races I've had and, and that's almost, you probably take more learning away from that. Um, I'm, I'm pretty critical even with the wins I've had, you know, y- you kind of, you do celebrate it, but even, you know, a few days later you're tearing it apart and you're, focusing on the negatives and what didn't go quite so well or what you can improve on for next time and that's what that's what drives you is like finding where those areas for improvement still are and with me being late into the sport and still feel pretty new I feel like I'm still learning and still improving you say you've changed things do you want to reveal what you've changed or are you is it keeping it to your heart um, oh, I mean, I'm not sure it's anything rocket science. I, I like load, I like volume, that gives me the confidence and that sort of thing. And we've stripped a little bit of that back. Um, so hopefully the aim is to come in a bit fresher um, and hopefully that will show towards the end of the race. Um, you know, and yeah, that, we'll see what happens. Post post this weekend, what's the plan for the rest of the season? Um, big beers on Monday night at the after party. <laughs> no, the priorities are right. I always say that, and then you're so kind of like you have one beer and really, really ones. To finish it, and then it's like, oh god, I'm going home before it's before the next day is too horrible. Um, so after I, I got, I stay here for a few more days in Rote, and then um, go down to Italy for a little bit of a break with, with a friend down there, just doing some cycling, and then I'll head back. I'm based in Girona over the Northern Hemisphere summer, so it's a big, it's a big spot for endurance sports, isn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. You guys should come. You yeah, should come and, but yeah, yeah, really good. Um, and then I'll race the rest of the ch- a lot of the challenge races in Europe. So Challenge Prague, Turku, Volsi again. Um, all halves. All halves, they're all halves. And then I'll be in Spain probably to the end of September and then head over to Kona to get ready for that one. I might, there might be a few other races in. We'll see how the next this weekend goes and see what we need to do for points. It's pretty cool. We, we talk about you know you turning to pro, and, and I think John has a question. John's, John's stepping in. Here's John's question. Well, is the leader housing going to fit tonight? <laughs> that is the aim, I know. This is like the first year I was so embarrassed that I couldn't get into the dirndl that we get to wear at the Erdinger party. And um, so that was actually, the, for the next year, who cared about the race? It was all about fitting into the dirndl. So that'll be my benchmark today of whether I'm in good shape or not, whether I can fit into the dirndl. You normally don't ask, ask females about fitting into clothes, John. This question number one was not a great question. I'm pretty obvious about that one. <laughs> it's a very important part of the race. <laughs> Hey, well, good luck on the weekend. We'll be cheering you at the finish line. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Always good to talk to you guys. Good friend of the show. Always good for a, good, good for an interview. I always love to talking to this guy. Uh, Joe Skipper, mate. How you going? I didn't know you wore glasses. Yeah, I, I've had a uh, problem with my uh, eyes, like wearing contact lenses. So I had to go back to wearing like glasses more. Yeah, but Makes you look sophisticated. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> like Superman. Look at him. He just puts them on. And, you Superman. Know? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so we were talking earlier on today, and you're telling me that I'm in New Zealand. You slipped a disc or something. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Before, uh, prior to the race, so about a week before the race, I was getting the odd uh, pain, like shooting pain. I, I just thought it was like some muscle pain. 
Um, so did did the race and then was in absolute like excruciating pain afterwards. And uh, it was only when I got back to England I was getting some physio on it, and she said, "Oh, we'll try and see if you can get an MRI um, in the meantime, just in case what we're doing doesn't work and we can get ahead of the game." So so I did, I, and then I, when the MRI came back, it said that I had a herniated disc. Um, so I did um, did the race with uh, with that, and it, re it really sent me back like two two. No oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like two and a half months without running. <laughs> and so that was uh, so two and a half months running after you left New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. After I left, like so I did. So I didn't run until May, like sometime in May. Uh, it was actually even painful just walking, and I was getting pain every day getting out of bed until probably about three weeks ago. Like yeah, like literally just like every time as soon as I stepped out of bed in the morning I'd get pain like probably about three weeks ago was the first time I didn't get it. And like yeah. I, I feel it a little bit now, but you know, it's not too bad and the physio said it, you know, it's about monitoring it kind of thing. Like you can do it as long as you it doesn't get worse, it should like it will take a while before it completely goes. But it is pretty much gone, you know, like it doesn't affect me doing training and stuff. You're just aware that it's there. But you're probably more aware because you've had that had yeah. the problem, do you know what I mean? Like whereas if I hadn't had the problem I was feeling I probably wouldn't think anything of it. So so you know then this race is obviously one of your key races of the year. You've had some pretty good races here. How's it shifted your training, you know, because obviously last two or three months, you know, you've been limited in what you can do. What have been some of the disadvantages and some of the benefits of that? Um, well, somehow I wasn't getting the pain really swimming and, and cycling, which is like quite lucky because a lot of people can't cycle when they have something like that. And uh, like I didn't get any pain pushing off the wall doing a tumble turn, which I was, which is quite surprising really because if I push every time my foot touched the floor when I was like walking or running, it would be really painful. So I was able to up my swimming like massively. Like yeah, like probably I went from out doing about what I was swimming probably about 14 kilometers a week and took up to about 24 on average like some weeks like over 30 but every week's pretty much been like over 20 so I'd say yeah probably average an extra 10 to 12 kilometers a week more than what I was swimming prior to that cycling probably not a massive amount more hours but like I was doing more intensity just because you didn't have the uh, you know the run-ins what take like batters you isn't it and takes it out of you and then once I got back running, it took a, it gradually started getting bet, a bit better, you know, each week. But I tried to keep my swimming quite high, so I've been trying to keep my swimming like, you know, like over 20 k's a week while I've been building back into running to try and because I because I made some big uh, like steps forward with my swimming, so I didn't want to like lose that, you know, as soon as I get back running, drop it, and then all the hard work what I'd done there. Uh, fall away so I kept the, kept the swimming quite high and then I've gradually been building my running up and like about three weeks ago I finally started seeing like I'm um, running quite well so uh, yeah like hopefully it'll be all right on Sunday. What is it about you every time you seem to come to this race you do really well um, what is it about is it just the time of the year is it this event is it the course what do you think is gets you going quick here? Um, I don't know. I think the time of the year is like a big thing. Like, cause I remember when I was doing cycling before, like when I used to do road racing a bit. I was always in good form in July and August. Um, so I think part of it is like I always seem to be in good form at that time of year. And I don't know. Maybe like when you've when you've done one good result at a race and then you come back, you look at if you record all your training and stuff, you know what kind of like what key sessions will get you in good form, won't you? you know like. I've heard like with Cameron Brown with like New Zealand, now he know he's got it down to a T, isn't he? You know, he knows exactly what sessions he's got to nail and I've got some like key sessions and stuff like that and I know like 
what I need, like what are good benchmarks. And then I think if you hit them good benchmarks, it gives you the confidence that you can push them powers or like speeds in the race. And then obviously on race day, you've got the support. And if that, if you use that to motivate you as well, then you just get the best out of yourself, don't you? How much of a jump forward do you think you've gained in the last period of time with your swimming? You know, because it's always been that kind of yeah. Achilles heel for you. So you feel you've made progress. Is it a, how much of a jump do you feel you've made? Maybe like two or three seconds a hundred probably from like looking like I, I use that like swim smooth uh, their training plans and stuff and uh, so like my turnaround times have gone down probably like two seconds a hundred um, and then I've been swimming like at least two seconds a hundred quicker maybe like yeah two or three seconds I'd say yeah two or three two to three seconds a hundred quicker consistently in training all the time traditionally in an Ironman uh, what's your swim experience is it very much by yourself or do you normally get in a pack but it's a slower pack like, what's, it, what's it generally like uh, I normally like get dropped off the back of the front pack like after probably about three, four hundred metres and then nowadays like the last year or two I've been finding myself leading like the chase pack or kind of like sitting in depending on like what kind of pace they feel like, like I feel like they're going so although it looks like it hasn't improved that much because like probably three or four years ago I was just at, but I was at the back of the chase pack whereas now I might be at the front of the chase pack so I'm still getting out the water within like 15 seconds but instead of hanging on to that I'm at the front and uh, it feels quite comfortable so it's obviously just getting good enough that you can make the jump to the front pack because until you do that you won't really get it won't look like in your swim results that you're actually getting any quicker yeah. but I know it is getting quicker because obviously I can see from what I'm hitting in, in training but it's just being able to make that leap really. Is uh, Kona still on the radar for this year or not? Yeah, definitely, yeah, like 100%. So yeah. I need to do another Ironman after, after, after this. <laughs> <laughs> so because so, so, you, like, the thing about you at this race is you beat yourself yeah. up. Like every time, last year you couldn't even talk to me and you, you know, you were always good. You were blottoed at the end of last year's race. And so when do you plan to do a race after this? Well, you'll find it f uh, funny because four days after the race last year, I set my best 20 minute power up put on with the bike. Really? Yeah, on Thursday I did a 10 mile time trial and I was absolutely flying, like I felt so good. Really? Yeah, yeah, I did like beat my peak power by about 20 or 30 watts. Wow. Yeah, I was like, like I was going really well. So you're like. doing an Ironman next week, is it? Is it the <laughs> well, I'm entered in Frankfurt. <laughs> <laughs> do, you have, do you have to give me any points or is it just yeah quite a bit like so yeah <laughs> so like if I did like I've only to be honest I've only entered in that one as like a backup in case like something went really wrong at this race but it's really unlikely that I do it um, because I'm meant to be driving Laura back as well <laughs> so she'd have to be finding her own way back for starters to England good luck Laura um <laughs> Uh, and then I've, I've got Ironman UK two weeks after or Hamburg at the end of July which, but I'll probably do Hamburg at the end of July because the course suits me better there's more prize money um, it's easy to get to as well you know it's only four like four hour drive if I get the ferry um, the other side so yeah I'll probably do probably do that one I need to get a top two there and what, and what about um, going to Kona then let's say it all goes well you get there what, yeah. what, what's the kind of plan then uh, do a really just go good result. Smash yeah, it. just uh, do a really good result. Really, like, just keep like. I'll, I, if I qualify there, I'll just keep like. If I qualify say in Hamburg, then I'll really look to peak like to go for that race and like go all in. Um, so I'll probably just do one seventy point three in the build up. But the thing is, with having with having that injury, what I had, I didn't do anything for you know two or three weeks after 
New Zealand because we were on a bit of a holiday anyway. And then when I did get into it, although at the start I upped my swimming and biking, mentally it was quite hard to, to keep pushing on because it didn't seem like it was actually getting getting any better. Like it went for about four or five weeks and I still couldn't walk and I was a bit demotivated a bit. You know, I was having to really like uh, remind myself, you know, keep it going, keep it going. But I didn't actually know if I'd be racing in July. So, I, so up until like say mid-April, I hadn't actually done that much training you know like really if you look at the amount of hours or like trait like training stress what i was doing each week so i'm pretty fresh whereas in other years you might get to roth and you know you've done like say three or four 70 point threes and you're like really in peak form but then after the race you know you need a, a decent break to rebuild yourself i don't feel like i do you know like i feel like i've done hardly any training like i feel like i could really do have another four or five five weeks really to be in like top top form for this so i think in hindsight, like well, in looking forward to Kona, that will be massively beneficial because <laughs> it's just yeah. dripping water over his poor lovely partner. <laughs> yeah, now that will be really beneficial because I'll be able to keep training. You know, like obviously have a bit of a break after this to like for your body to like get rid of the muscles and stuff. But then I'll be able to really build into Kona and being top form for that. So, so, so you know, you're saying you know you haven't been able to run as much as been benefits. You know, it gives you time to be able to push out moving forward from this moment, but. How do you feel about the race this weekend? Because obviously you haven't maybe put the same amount of running in. It's been good for your swimming and your biking, but is your, what's the kind of the mindset going into this weekend? Well, I've done a couple of big training sessions. So like, uh, I'm trying to think, three weeks ago I did a half. So four weeks ago from this race, I did like a swim in the morning and then I did a three hour ride with some like efforts in. And then I did a 15 mile run, like st straight off the bike. Um, and I have to run like sub six minute miling. So I did that. And then the week after I did a 70.3. Obviously you get like a hard run off, off the bike there, don't you? And then the following week, I did four and, just over four and, a, like four and a quarter hours with some big efforts in on the bike. And then did another 15 mile run and did that like sub six minute miling again. So we, you know, that's like 2.36 marathon pace off, off a hard bike. Like I, I was looking at the data today and that was almost the same average power as well. I averaged in uh, Roth last year. My normalised power for that se training session was actually 10 watts higher. So then I did 15 miles on that, and I didn't feel completely destroyed. You know, it was hard, but I was like pretty, like it was pretty cruisy. And then this Sunday, I did 90 minutes, like at like target race pace, or a bit harder maybe. And then two 5Ks in like 16:30 off the bike. And like you know, I, from past experience, I know if I'm running them like quite quite quick and how it feels, then I'll be whether or not I'll be good to go on uh, on Sunday. And them training sessions have all gone really well, and I've been getting quicker and quicker in training. So. I could be all right on the race day. I've definitely got a decent amount of um, speed coming back. And I think if you're doing a 15 mile run at above Ironman pace off of four, hour, four and a quarter hour ride, you've got to be in pretty good uh, run shape. Otherwise you'd just crumble, wouldn't you? You know, so. Uh, so so, so the markers are giving you confidence. Yeah, I think like I'm better, definitely better running than what I was last year because I don't, I've looked at the data today and I wasn't actually running that great before the race last year. I was running really well the year before yeah. and I think that I'm better than last year. I'm probably not quite where I was the year before, but close to that. Uh, but then, but I'm, if you have a good swim and you, you exactly. know exactly, and my biking is going really well. Like I'm way putting way more power out on the bike than what I was last year. Like my power was terrible last year because I actually had what I thought was a really aerodynamic position on the bike, which when I tested it after race, it was pretty rubbish. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it looked good, but it wasn't great. Uh, so my power was really bad. So I'll probably put out 30 watts more this for the race this year than what I did last year. But for the same effort? Yeah, well, maybe, like, I've maybe been fitter as well, but um, 
I've done a few races, Ironmans, where I've actually put out 30 watts more than what I did in Roth last year. Yeah. So if I can put out, say, 30 watts more, minimum 25, um, then, uh, and I'm on a faster bike than what I was last year, then I should do a way quicker ride. And if my swim, like you say, is better, uh, that'll put me in good stead. And then I just got to take keenly on on the run. Game on. So, Laura, does he talk stats and stuff when he's at home, or is he grumpy when he go, go, comes back from a training session? She thinks I'm grumpy. He's not not that often grumpy at home. Uh, there's a lot of stats. There's definitely think, a lot of stats. Do you, do you actually think I do? <laughs> look, look, build a bridge, mate. Get over it. It's your time. Have you any questions from the audience? No, no questions. The question I have for you. Oh, wait, Ollie? I'll have to think of one. You can't put me on the spot. Okay. Uh, so the so question I have is, how many times have you done Kona now? Twice. So what are the lessons that you've taken from the ones you've done? Because I remember the first time you did it, you got a gold interview from you post-line. You were like, this is just stupid. Um, but what are some of the lessons you've learned just about that race? Um, definitely to, to, to kind of ride your own race. And I think um, you can do really well doing that because the problem is, unless you, if you make the, well, if you, if like what I found was last, when I did it last time was, you kind of get in this pack and you think it's all well and good, but people screw you over because you'll catch- Bastards. Yeah, well you catch people that have been popped from the lead group and then they'll, obviously you're, you're, the front of your pack will catch them and then they'll like obviously try and like hang on to the back of the pack because they don't want to like let that go do they so then say you've got five people at the start four people and you're all working really well then suddenly you catch a group of three and with that rule what they've got where you have to overtake like the whole group don't you and not just like one person two people might get through because obviously they catch them straight away two of them get through and then the person who's just been caught thinks oh hang on i need to go on the back of these don't they so you might be third person have been like the third person but then all of a sudden this person's jumped in the, in that gap and then you're like shit i just went to overtake them but now like the motorbike's there the whole time isn't he and you're like i've got to overtake everyone in this group haven't you so you start trying to overtake everyone in that group the person on the front sees you coming and obviously <laughs> he thinks well i'll just start put to 400 watts or something like that because if this person can't overtake me then he's going to get a five minute penalty isn't he and if he does overtake me he's like absolutely cooked himself because he's got to ride a lot faster so i think there's a lot of that that comes and obviously it gets worse because as you catch more people you might end up having 15 people yeah it got to about 15 people in the group and like you, you you obviously if you hit a hill if you're being smart what you want to do is when you hit a hill you want to ride like say not too quick at the start so everyone else catches back up then people at the back are like having don't to Don't give away your secrets, Joe. <laughs> don't give away No, that's secrets. what they did. That's what everyone was... <laughs> Bastards. Yeah, but there's nothing you can do about that. There's nothing you can do at the time. The only thing so you, you can do... You've got to get tripped. Get to the front. Yeah, like, so people will like hit the hill, they'll go slow up it, and then just before you get to the top, they'll bang it on over the top. So people at the back are breaking, then people at the front have suddenly got to the top of the hill or whatever, and they're sprint, you know, quickly get, pick up to 500 watts or something, you know, only for like 10, 15 seconds to get on the arrow. But then it like makes the effect slightly worse every yeah. time you go down the line so the person who's 15th in the line is like suddenly breaking down to like 16 17 miles now then all of a sudden he's like hitting 550 watts for like 20 or 30 seconds so really do your own do your own race you know don't worry about the pace lines because they're absolutely horrendous like you know because people ride it tactically which is obviously the whole point isn't it it's not to do the fastest time it's to beat people and like make them burn more matches i guess isn't it you know and that's um but so you say do your own race but what does it mean in in, in, the, in the practicality of it well so like if you for the at the end of the day you don't need to be leading in t2 do you you just need to be the first person to cross the line don't you so if you can get if you think about it in the bigger picture and you think right how can i get from 
start of the bike, or say the start of the, you know, the start of the swim, to the end of the bike in the best possible position where I'm in, you know, for your game plan to win the race. That's how you want to do it, don't you? So you know, if you're like say Patrick Lang, for instance, he just he doesn't really have to think. Right, I need to be first person off the bike, does he? He thinks, well, you know, with how he's run, I need to be within five minutes or whatever. You know, as long as I'm within that that distance, starting T2. I mean, yeah, in, within T2, then I can do a good run. I'm in a winning position. Whereas if you're someone like say Lionel Sanders or something like that, obviously he has to get into T2 with a lead, doesn't he? If he gets off the bike with Patrick Lang, he's not going to win, is he? So you have to know what your strengths and weaknesses weaknesses are. Be honest with yourself and think. For me, you know, like I just need to get into T2 in the best possible shape I can get and obviously ideally like ahead of people who are going to out, outrun me don't they so is there any gain in burning a load of matches being in the pace line up until 100k and then finding that you're going to lose a lot of time in the last 80k is not really is there you know you could be with the lead group going up like Harvey but then if you've cooked it burnt a load of matches as soon as you get to the crosswinds going over the lava fields and you lose a lot of time that was all wasted energy wasn't it so stick to your game plan stick to your power kind of thing and if you get into t2 in like contention then um, you're going to do well like the first year when I did it I, I rode pretty much the whole thing by myself I wasn't with anyone and the last 30 k's, you wouldn't believe the amount of people I went past that had completely blown the doors off. Like they were like coming, like they were coming so slow. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I overtook 15 people and got into like transition in about 10th or 11th place. And I, and I hadn't lost any time to the lead pack. I think they took a minute out of me on the bike, and I did the whole thing by myself. And I got off, and I didn't feel like I'd really done anything. But obviously, in the, the part of the challenge with Kona is the heat, isn't it? You know, like I really struggled in uh, in that heat, and that's one of the challenges what what I've got. So. Yeah, for me, like the run wasn't great. Same with la last time when I went there, like, but I cooked myself on the bike really because obviously I thought I'll give it a go in the pace lines and see what it's like, and that was what I, I think I learned a lot that year. Which, like, moving forward, I wouldn't be that bothered about. Uh, and also, if we did catch groups, I've got experience now, haven't I? You know, I know about like how it's got the con Constantina effect, and uh, I won't get caught up in it so much. Laura, make sure he doesn't give away all the secrets. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people, you know what? Before the race, it doesn't matter because before no because before the race we we spoke last time. There was loads of us that all spoke and we said yeah well, like you know you all know the people that are probably going to be around swim around together don't you? and we all spoke to each other and we said yeah. What was we'll, it, was the pros talking to each yeah, other before? Yeah, we yep. said like what we'll do is we'll all work together on the bike. We'll do five minute turns. You know keep it smooth, keep it smooth. Complete bullshit. <laughs> like as soon as you got on the bike, no one get thought about that. The red mist set in and everyone just fucking banged it. Like no one. It was like the whole the whole chats where everyone had had. Who, who was full of crap the most? God. Michael Michael Vice probably. Like just got on the front and completely banged it. I spoke to I remember speaking to Ronnie Shieldnecht and uh, Bart Ennett afterwards and I said, "Oh yeah, like how come you guys like let like stick to the plan?" No, well they they actually were sensible and they go, "Yeah, because no one stuck to it and we we knew that like you lot were going to blow up. So we just let you go and then they came flying past us and stuff later on, but yeah, no one like stuck to it. Everyone just got on the bike and just literally did their own thing. And uh, do you enjoy racing, Kona? Yeah, it's quite it's quite fun, isn't it? Because it's like you like the whole media thing, and like you see like the helicopters there, and everyone's there. It's yeah, it's a good buzz. Like I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Like and uh, it's a good place to go for a holiday as well, isn't it? Afterwards. Yeah. But yeah, the race is brilliant. <laughs> well, hopefully we we kind of want to get an interview with you after the race, but kind of don't as well. We want you to leave it all out there. And you do have a good ability to to, to dig deep. Yeah, yeah, I just enjoy it really. Like uh, uh, that's that's part of the fun with an Ironman for me is just seeing like how you know how how hard you can go, and I really get 
you know, I think that's probably why in the past I haven't done so well in halves because I, I've seen from a trainer I should be a lot better in them, but I haven't really done it so much. And I never really get to the end where I'm like completely nailed, but I think that's always because I've had a half in the build up to, you know, a, a full distance. And my, back in my mind, I'm always looking forward to that because I never seem to be able to push myself as hard in a half as what I can in a, in a full. Like, I basically go that seem like I go the same speed. In, uh, in is it because you don't prioritise a half or is it yeah maybe like maybe I don't prioritise it as much and give it the re- I, I suppose in your head you're not like giving it the re- the respect is, is due you know but I just enjoy the full distance like that's what really motivates me and like I love just you know getting in a good battle with someone and just seeing what you can do <laughs> oh, oh, oh he's, he's finally thought of his question Jay, can I um, ask you, do you, you're obviously aware of your power output on the bike and that obviously plays a big part of your training. Um, do you do any strengthening work in the gym as part of that? Not, a, I haven't done a great deal recently, but like in the past I've done stuff in, in the winter and that, you know, like a lot of core stuff, some weights, like squats and uh, that kind of thing. But I mean, I, it's just so hard, isn't it? You know, fitting, fitting everything in, like that's, that's what I struggle with. But I have done it before and like, I do find it quite good. I, I've actually found it really beneficial for the running. Like when I've run, been running my best, I've actually found that I've done uh, more stuff probably in the gym and I've been doing like that quite consistently. So, yeah, like I think it is good. It's just trying to fit it all in, isn't it? Okay, I've got a couple of questions for Laura. Laura, best, best thing about being a triathlete's partner? Um, the travel. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the weather. The weather. Yeah, the weather. <laughs> the weather. Perfectly demonstrated here. Uh, what, what's some of the more challenging things? Um, when you do go away, there's a lot of time when they're out training and then they're protecting their legs before the race and then they're after the race and they're in agony and they're whinging all the time about their legs. <laughs> so it's not so much a holiday. <laughs> was this? Was this? Dan behind you, actually. He lives with us. Oh, it's a whole family affair. Yeah. Eh? And um, uh, one thing about Joe that would surprise the rest of us. Oh, God. Good cook. Surely. Is he a good cook? He isn't bad, yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll take the, we'll take the cook. Still doing the modelling? I haven't done any modelling. Part time supermodel here. Oh, good times. Okay, mate, well, thanks for your time. It's always awesome having you on the show. We'll see you after the rest on Sunday. Thanks. Well done. Okay, we're back, we're back with Joe Skipper because Sawson Red. John, John, and John and Thorson had a debate on the show, didn't they? I thought the swim was slow last year and the run was slow. And Joe's backing me up here. Yeah, the run was okay, definitely yeah, we, uh, slow. Yeah, I don't know what Thorson's on about saying sausage. the run course yeah, wasn't any slow. It was, uh, it was up and down the whole day. Like the year before, it was pan flat. Fresh, I'm hoping you're not vegetarian. Do your research. We're in the upstairs room with a butcher. It looks like some nice meat down here. Oh, yeah. Fraser's just telling us he's had some sausages for lunch. Yeah, homestay, farm shop with uh, a twist. With a twist. <laughs> with a twist. <laughs> he, he was complaining that the sausages had bread, but no butter. Yeah, yeah, all the way. Load on the fat. <laughs> <laughs> Righty-ho, so Fraser won Ironman UK in, back in 2010. Uh, he's had lots of success over back the half Back in the dark distance. ages. Yeah. And then... That was kind of out of nowhere, wasn't it, that, that result? Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> he was saying that to me in the car. I said, no, no, he was, you were racing IT. You tell us a bit about your, your history sort of up to that 2020, uh, 2020 and sort of your, where your triathlon yeah. 2010. Bloody hell, we've been winning next uh, couple of years. Um, tell us about your sort of career up, up to that point. Yeah, I mean, coming out of the UK, your usual, well, I'd say usual pathway for a kid. You know, you come into the sport from a swimming background, um, not very good swimmer, but didn't want to stop doing sport. So luckily, family, friends at the time, late 90s in Scotland, there's not many people doing triathlon. Not really. It's a pretty niche sport. Mm. 
definitely then. So lucky in that somebody said, oh, why doesn't Fraser try a triathlon? Tried one and that was that. And then very quickly loved it, found a few triathlons you could do at that time in Scotland, started doing them. That was the end of high school. Went to university in Edinburgh. That became a little more easier because you're in the great big smoke, you know, slightly closer to population. And, you know, really in all seriousness, there wasn't a lot of triathlons in Scotland at that time. So that helped. It got me into more of a structured squad not triathlon particularly, but swimming, and I could still do some riding things while studying, and just started following the the junior pathways, British triathlon, you go to selection races, go to world juniors, European juniors, did all that stuff, wasn't very good, we'd make teams, but I did world juniors once in Edmonton, 2001, top 40 or something, so, you know, it was never great, but I would, you know, went through all that system, through under 23s, just making GB teams, always aspirations of being better, but at that time, as is now, British triathlon is so strong, so you were never able to jump into the top five, or six even that you needed to go to world seniors and things like that so I would do European Cups Asian Cups I did one or two World Cups because it was actually difficult to get starts back then Mm. by 2006 I'd hoped to go to Melbourne Commonwealth Games that would have been for Scotland because we can race Mm. for the individual home nations Um, and that would have been a realistic goal I was good enough in terms of the level I was racing I was getting podiums at European Cups and Asian Cups and doing okay Um, good level at French Grand Prix that type of racing so not bad Mm. but politics at the time there was no British, um, sorry no Scottish team sent to that particular Commonwealth oh, Games really? so there was three of us that were all thinking we could go there was it's a long way it still happens now for for um faraway Commonwealth Games you might find that teams get shrunk because of bed spaces and costs oh, and all right. that sort of stuff so if you weren't an out-and-out medal contender which I certainly wouldn't have been you weren't taken and none of us anyway so that was kind of the only realistic goal I had Beijing was never going to happen at GB level um and then the next four-year cycle for Delhi Commonwealth Games there wasn't a triathlon so then that was kind of the end of any ITU aspirations for me so I thought well half Ironman as it was then was just coming into we had one in the UK Wimbledon which is now no longer here it was interestingly the very first 70.3 race when they did they did their rebranding as an aside I think that was the end of 2005 and then they changed the date from September into June and then it stayed in June Mm. ever since Um, so I started in 06 of 7 2007 won that ball 70.3. That was my first actual 70.3, so I was like, oh, not bad at this. Mm. <laughs> what was it like? So, you know, because you'd been a, an ITU athlete the whole time and, uh, you know, kind of good athlete, but never quite... Oh, just middle of the road, yeah. Yeah, so what's it like to turn up and kind of, shit, I won this thing. Yeah, it was brilliant. And, and back then, less so now, but we had TV coverage at these races, so you were half an hour on Channel 4 within a week, and that oh. was kind of cool. Yeah. And that stuff snowballed, and, you know, sort of six, seven, eight... Um, even through, and then through to 2010, I was doing well in the UK 70.3s. I won three in that period. And then eventually said, well, do an Ironman. Mm. Um, yeah, and that Bolton won, I won. So. Was it the first year? No, no, Bolton had been, I mean, they had had Ironman UK at another location called Sherborne. That's and it had been was, running yeah. earlier in like 2007, <clears throat> maybe that started. On a side note, I did try that. People often say, oh, you won your first Ironman. And I said, well, I won my first one, I finished. So I had mm-hmm. entered Sherborne a couple of years earlier. So I was only 25, which back then seemed super young to be doing an Ironman. Now it's run in the mill. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you only had people like Terenzo who even then were doing Ironmans, but, and he's younger than me by a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it wasn't much reference point for young people doing, or what I thought, doing Ironman. So I think it was 26 doing an Ironman in 2008. People were like, oh, you're mad. <laughs> but I led off the bike. I led to halfway in the marathon, sort of in decent shape halfway through the marathon. That's back when people like Stephen Bayless were cleaning up in races. Mm-hmm. So I, I pulled out halfway through that one because I suddenly thought this is a long way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, by 2010, I was ready, went and did an Ironman. And I, yeah, it was great. I had a brilliant day and won the thing from gun to tape pretty much. Mm. But that was a long time ago. And I always look back in that and think, well, 
how did it never, how, you know, I, I've raced since, they've had some ups and downs, but never been back to, 2010 was a brilliant year for me. Mm. Um, I started off 170.3 South Africa in the January. We used to train a lot in South Africa. I say we, there was a, a sort of cohort of us Brits who would go down mm. to Stellenbosch for the full winter. And it was brilliant. And I do think it was a real uh, mainstay in my, my ability to race well in that late 2000, 2007 through to 2010. Every winter, there would be about mm. up to 10 of us down there. And you just take the full 90 day visa, you would spend three months down there and make the most of their summer, their racing. Mm. You also had a 70.3 to do, which made the whole trip viable, kind of, mm. if you did well. Yep. Um, so that gave me great racing through our winter, because Scotland, obviously, like New Zealand in your winter, you don't yeah. want to be there. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, so I, I, and then that whole sort of group of us for family reasons, people changing, you know, life and stuff, it just fizzled out and the group sort of stopped. You know, it, it used to be a case of, right, we'll be in Stellenbosch, we'll all train together. People like Tim Dong, good friends, are still good friends. People like Gavin Noble, who was racing for Ireland at the time. Loads of us. It was a whole ton. And we just trained well mm. together. Not as an actual specific group, but we were all there at the same yeah. time. We would, you know, speak to each other, hook in, hook, you know, with sessions that would all make sense for each of us to do, whether we were doing Ironman or 70.3 or ITU. There was just a good group. And that, that definitely made a big difference to me racing early, early years. Then stopped going back for those winters, started doing... More what we used to do as juniors um, ITU days to get out of Scotland because you have to. You drop into Spain. Lots mm. of places in Spain have trained over the years because <clears> you just can't spend a winter in Scotland. Mm. It's just, well, you I say can't. That sounds brattish. You, you can. It's just not ideal. Yeah. So, so you know, Spain's cheap. It's easy to get to from Scotland because loads of old people go there for the winter. So there's loads of flights, charter flights and the like. So um, used to go into Spain for a week, two weeks, you know, around school and uni, for example. Yeah. But then when you was finished with uni and finished the studies and wasn't going somewhere for long term like um, Stellenbosch and South Africa was a lot easier than say New Zealand or Australia yeah. which would be lovely but it's so far away jet lag and all that sort of stuff so South Pink Africa cost. just yeah South Africa is not a cheap flight but it's a lot easier to get to because you just drop straight down yeah. you sit in a flight overnight and you're there you know mm. it's kind of simple mm. and during that whole period sort of the the ITU period and then on to your sort of the initial part of your 70.3 and Ironman career how are you how are you making it all work you know the ITU part was that um, funding from the federation and or were you making up work with prize money you know if you're finishing middle of the pack in ITU races probably not any money so how, how did you make it all work um so you back then that we were lucky in that that so that's one of the benefits of somewhere like <coughs> Scotland there's um in the UK we have lottery funding which is brilliant and it makes so many athletes lives possible you mm. know I was we in the late when I was racing at ITU level that funding was there but it was nowhere near the same system as it is now it, it was still good and it was brilliant so I had access to funding but it was actually not through British triathlon because as I said I wasn't good mm. enough but we have Scottish triathlon uh, okay. so through that and then we have um, lottery funding that comes through Sports Scotland just, you know getting into the, the policies and politics of it but there was money available so you could get funding support there was a, a, a national centre by then in Stirling which is basically where I still train not at the centre mm. anymore but that there was coaching there was there was facilities really lucky with what you had access to at University of Stirling 50 metre pool track good gym all that stuff that you need for a good base um, and yeah, in terms of racing, you were having to do okay. But, you know, you say there wasn't money. Actually, we used to have a good... There is still a series in the UK, British mm -hmm. Super Series, it's called. It's changed names over the years. But you used to have big races like Windsor, Blenheim. Blenheim's still going, but there was quite a few good races in the UK that actually back then, I think it was Tata Steel were the sponsors. There was good money. Mm. So if you're in top five, you're actually earning quite... You say it wasn't, but there was mm. back then. So for a young kid, like you're still living sort of student life. It was actually, you were actually doing okay. You were mm. like, wow, I'm actually... And then you start throwing in 
70.3s and you, there was more money in 70.3s back then ironically yeah, than yeah. there is now yeah. so you know winning a 70.3 in 2007 to 2010 was well it would back then I think every race had a 25k purse or a 30k mm. purse now you're lucky if any rate you know I think there's three races in Europe that have gone more than a 15k purse mm. 70.3s for example you know yeah. so actually relatively it was easier there was less athletes racing too so you didn't yeah. have the same competition yeah, you also so, that moment in your life where your, your standard of living so used to being yeah. poor student isn't it so, yeah, yeah I think you're absolutely right so no I mean looking back on it and obviously really lucky always had family support you know I'm more than lucky to have had that parents that really supported me and wanted me to do the sport so you know, and I was fortunate because I, I saw many an athlete that was better than me, without mm. doubt, that just dropped away. Not because necessarily they weren't, well, certainly not because they weren't good enough, but you just see people that don't have, for whatever reason, just support and whatever you call support, just people going, yeah, you're, you know, you should do it. Or, you know, as a kid, having, you know, been dropped off at swimming lessons or swimming, you know, club mm. and stuff, you know, just the general logistics you need to be able to carry on at a younger age and then you just kind of keep that going and well, you find a way if you can but yeah. yeah that would have been that would have been the gist of it and mm. you just kind of keep going in that mindset so you've, done, you've had some good Ironman success but you, you, am I right in saying your career has probably been more focused on the 70.3 or how, how have you sort of structured your, your year each year from say that 2010 period where you had the win you know did you have one or two target Ironmans a year or did you just try to do a mix of uh, events and, and just make it happen yeah, it's a good question. I mean, looking back on my race results, it would appear that I never really tried, but I have. I've always attempted to do well in Ironman, mm. just haven't done so well. I mean, I don't know. I was having a think. I mean, I think this will be my 16th Ironman distance. Um, I mean, I've won or been second in four, so 25% mm. rate is not bad. Mm. Probably 25% of that DNF. I think I've not yeah. finished four. And then an eight, eight or so that are middle of the road, which includes two Konas that were a finish, but mm. nothing to write home about. So, you know, I've done races like Frankfurt, South Africa. I've finished one or two others, but I've always aimed largely on our M dots in the UK because we're lucky to have a few, and that's grown over the years. I mean, yeah. last year we got Edinburgh 70.3, which unfortunately I can't do this weekend because it clashes. Mm. Um, you know, we got Ironman Wales a couple of years ago, so all of a sudden there was a lot more ability to stay home. You know, I didn't, and I'm much like if you're, you know, in Australia now or that region, you don't, I mean, you still have to travel, of course you do, you have to get in a flight, but it's not transatlantic or yeah. or long, you know, and, and you could argue, yeah, we've lucky, we've always had loads in Europe, but having five or six as we do in the UK, man, I suddenly could say, well, I don't have to, it's lovely to go and experience new mm. big races, but cost effectively, it made more sense to try and stay home. So, you know, I've done well in Bolton, I've done well in Wales. I've Again, a lot of that's got to do with me liking harder courses. It's what I've been used to. The weather doesn't suit, you know, it sort of doesn't affect me in the same way as it seemed to have affected other athletes. So, for one way or the other, I've always done better at home, but I haven't specially focused on, on that. It's just kind of the way it's happened. In there, I've always tried to go to Kona. I say always. There was plenty of years when I tried to. Back 2010, it was the old system, get your slot, bang, done. Yeah. You're off. Like, you know, that was brilliant. That was the last year of that system. Mm -hmm. They brought in the points in 2011. Um, that year, I didn't have... I didn't. I, I, I kind of went through... I had a great year in 2010, a big dip in 2011 emotionally... Um, just couldn't really cope with probably doing so. I mean, it sounds crazy, but wasn't coping well with doing well. And then mm. by 2011, had a big old dip. I think I did, I think I raced Ironman Arizona that year. No intentions of Kona. 2012, 2013, made a proper attempt on doing it, but didn't manage by a long shot. 2014, I thought, right, I'm going to not even try and chase Kona, not even attempt it. Spot luck, I was still, you know, that I was still with the Trek K Swiss team that whole time. We're very mm. lucky to have that support. And th those guys are always great. They didn't really seem to mind about you going to Kona either because both those big brands understood that unless you're winning the thing or 
even top you know, nobody really cares mm. so yeah they would be happy for you to be there but they didn't really care well, or well, didn't well, feel well, like they cared what kind of support because that was a big thing that case was team it came out of nowhere it was a bit of an odd you know case was trying to hit triathlon mm. but they invested a lot what, what kind of support were they giving yeah i mean i was really lucky and fortunate it was a good friend julie dibbins just put a word in for me i i ended i had by 2000 end of 2009 i didn't have any sponsors or lost sponsors that i had that season hadn't had a brilliant year that year relative to you know, I hadn't won anything, for example. So um, um, I was kind of scrambling, wanted to race a bit more in the States. And um, I was still doing World 70.3s every year, for example. They were still in clear water and stuff. But wasn't, you know, I'd been top 10 twice, but by then I wasn't making top, I think I was 20th in 2009. It's, so that's when the racing seemed to get fast and deep. Um, so I was like, well, how am I going to keep going? And by luck, Julie said, well, I might know of something. She had already been racing with Trek for a year, and she knew that this thing was, that K-Swiss were really wanting to push yeah. bigger. They already sponsored a lot of athletes or helped a lot of athletes. They kind of jumped in. It felt like they were everywhere. Mm. Lot, yeah, really. Lot, you know, a, a lot of branding. Moment, wasn't Loads of athletes were, were we, we all, you know, we got looked at, and, and, by all, and there was plenty of athlete mates of mine were in there a couple of years earlier and did amazingly well out of, out of their marketing structure at yeah. the time. You know, there was a lot of cash flying around. Yeah. I missed that boat, unfortunately. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was still we got looked after really well. And Trek K Swiss was brilliant. It was a it was a team, but it was really just two big sponsors that rammed themselves together like a sandwich. I mean, mm. it was great. So we had great support from Trek, great support from K Swiss, and you could then you could have other sponsors of your own version if you wanted. Mm. And that ran for four years. It was really it was a great time. Those between sort of eight or ten of us racing in that colours, the same sort of uniform for yeah. those seasons, and it was cool. And loads of good friends that are still mates with it. You know, like Joe Gamble's, Paul Matthews. Um, Matt Lieto, Chris Lieto was on the team, Julie, um, Heather Jackson started on that team, Leslie mm. Patterson, good Gina, man. Gina was in it? She was at once. Not Trek K-Swiss, no. See, oh, she's K-Swiss. K-Swiss. Yeah, there was K-Swiss. loads of people. Yeah, that's oh, the thing. Okay. They sponsored K-Swiss themselves. It was kind of confusing. You had Trek K-Swiss and loads of K-Swiss oh, only. Yeah. People like Rennie, T.O., they were all racing. Leander Cave at the time, there was a ton of people wearing K-Swiss but weren't Trek K-Swiss. Yeah. But they were never transferred. You know, like you know, yeah. like, you know, like you think of like the Newtons. They came out, and that was Newtons did kind of have an impact in the sport. It's kind of faded now, but yeah. K-Swiss never really got onto the runners' feet. You know, the participants. When we look at that from a New Zealand perspective. You might be able to give us a better insight in terms of European and American whether it really kicked off or not. In terms of people uh, wearing yeah, cases. I mean, I used to, I still always do. I always love play games in airports. You see what people wear. Oh, you yeah. know, a whole demographic. And, you know, Casos was, you see a lot of Casos casually, still do. Mm. But performance was something, from my understanding, was they wanted to come into. And they mm. threw a lot of money, presumably, out to tennis. You'd seen, a lot, or I'd yeah. seen Casos a lot. Yeah. There was the, the famous pair, the, the, the twins, the Bryan brothers. Mm. But they were huge Casos. And mm. you had people like Tommy Haas, I think, and stuff at around that time. So you would see, or I, you know, watching big, te- you know, Wimbledon and such you would see K-Swiss. But in the UK, it was just kind of a kind of a, a casual shoe that you would see kicking around but um, performance wise it never kicked off they just for whatever reason I mean, I'm not I'm no expert on no, marketing no. and those but it, I guess the big companies it's, it's really difficult so it's fascinating to see now with your thing companies like um, Hoka seem to be doing brilliant but they're a brand that from what I gather came in from, from triathlon but yeah. now you and, seem and, to and see and they haven't them. done the pro down they've more from, from recreational up haven't they like Hoka really came in it wasn't they hit the pros and then it spread it was almost like they had a new concept that people loved and every day people picked it up and then it's kind of gone up the ladder, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and then, but from what I can see, that I know a few of my buddies are now running them and I'm really happy with them, but they, um, 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 and um, they, um, they have um, um, gone to pro runners. And right. I think that maybe, and they're making spikes and they're doing other things, which I think helps. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm just my observations, but you see, or I notice a lot of, you'll see Hoka, a diamond league mm. for example mm. you never saw case of them mm. so i don't know if that helps yeah so here in right you know what's um it's it's always a, a 
pretty stacked field here. You know, what's what's your motivation to be here and right? Why why are you here? I've never done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's you know I'm getting on 36 just turned last week. So there's a few races either you have to do. And I've never done it. So call it bucket list or however you want to frame it. Ah, uh-huh. uh, you mm-hmm. know as I said before, Kona has done. It. I'm not chasing that whole you know not fast you know good enough anymore for one of a better description really so i'm mm-hmm. looking for races that i know that i should do and i'm running at a time to experience mm-hmm. and also it, you know I, I, going back to what we were talking about ironmans i have done i've rarely done an ironman that quote unquote is fast yeah, so it'd be yeah. nice to try and see you know i'm not particularly on my on my um, own personal experience i'm not that i have done fast courses don't get me wrong and i've mm-hmm. never done well in them because racing a fast course and people think, oh, that's a lot easier. Well, no, it's not. You know, mm. you're on the pressure the whole time. You're, I mean, this isn't one of those courses where it's pan flat. Of course it's not. Mm. Um, so you are out the saddle. You are moving around the, that lower back stress that you can get in these absolute Florida. Clearwater 70.3, for example, when I've raced in the Middle East. You know, that sort of stuff. It's, mm. it's, it's In my mind, you are sorest after a pan flat race than you are after a uh, hilly or more demanding Profile-wise, course. That's mm. my my interpretation. Anyway, so I'm keen to give that a go and see how um, time. I mean, I've never been one four times, but you know, it's cool to go and see. I mean, the fastest I've ever gone, and I did a a, a little interview with or written interview with Torsten. Mm. Um, he asked me for some thoughts, and he brought up the point that you don't seem to have ever gone faster than the time you did when you won Ironman UK all those years ago. I was like. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> so eight forty was that time, and I've never gone faster. I mean, that's yeah. terribly slow. I mean, that's age group yeah. times. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be, but you do that in Ironman UK now. I mean, that was an old course that, quite frankly, I think was short. So, yeah. you know, um, actually now you're lucky to go under nine Ironman UK, I yeah. mean, give or take. So, yeah, I've um, yeah, just never, and, Arm, and Wales is even slower, you know, so it's just, it's just one of those things. I've never gone fast on an Arizona or a Frankfurt or, so yeah, that's one of the reasons. And um, I heard so much about it. I know plenty of people who've done it, always said great things. And, you know, here I am. Just, you, you said earlier that you struggled with the success, 2012 or 2011, was it? You know, you, you, you come on, you have success, and then there was a struggle. Tell us about that. Um, well, without going into great debt, I mean, basically depression. You know, really? basically dipping into I'm not able to cope with this. I mean, history in the family, my own history earlier with university stress is much younger. Um, and it, it, it's one of those things you only kind of figure out once you're deep in it. Um, and probably was manifesting all through that 2010. I mean, it makes it sound sort of Hollywood or dramatic, but for me at that time, there wasn't many races I wasn't off a podium. So I suddenly was qualified for Kona, first proper attempt at an Ironman, thought, well, I'll go and do really well at Kona. Of course I'll go top 10, that'll be easy. Mm. You know, a load of nonsense. Um, went there, came off the bite with people like Crowey and Terenzo, uh, Andy Potts. I remember it like it was clear as day. And my brother Blair had come to, to watch in Kona and we had this discussion afterwards because I started running. I'd got up the little hill at a transition up onto just, you know, half a mile. And there he was standing. And he thought, I'm doing brilliant. You know, I'm in like, um, I don't know, we were top 15 or something. But mm. we were miles behind it was like Chris Leiter, whoever was up the road. I forget the, the guys mm. at the time. Somebody just before Blair had given us a split and said 17 minutes. Now, bearing in mind, I had been racing well and kind of used to winning I didn't think I was going to be winning Kona don't be daft but yeah. when you hear somebody say 17 minutes and in the frame of mind I was probably sliding into at that time in my life 
I thought, what on earth is the point? And I remember seeing Blair and thinking, what's the point carrying on? And he has, you know, he trying to be supportive and saying, well, of course, get on, you know, it's my arm and all that sort of stuff. But in my head, he could see I was mentally done, and, uh -huh. which is crazy. You know, looking back on it, and I'd love to come off the bike 17 minutes when yeah. I took Kona mm. um, or whatever it was, but it was in that ballpark. Um, and running with people like that, for yeah. example, at the start of a marathon. So it's interesting how you, you can look at things depending on how you're feeling. Um, so, yeah, so then the, 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 I got through that race and ironically did not bad. Like mm. top 30, didn't do bad at all, mm. ran perfectly fine, but I thought it was the end of the world at the time. thought, you've been embarrassing, you've done terribly. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, which is stupid because nobody was telling me that, but yeah. I felt it. Yeah. So rather than just going home and having a cool break and then getting ready for you know racing again, going to South Africa or something like we had, I had been doing for a few years, and I could have done because I'd done quite well that year and it was it would have been easy enough to say well I can support myself to go and do all that stuff and just kind of put my head in the sand, didn't train, didn't touch a bike I think for three months, didn't swim for a long time, like stupid stuff. Mm. Like it, in my head it was the end of me racing. Really didn't think I'd be back in a start line. Wow. Yeah. So by the June, I mean, and and I have to credit really well was lucky at the time with support from Kiwi and Ben. Brown. Right. Oh, yeah. And Ben Bright at the time was, and he still is involved with British Triathlon, but he was doing a bit, he could back then do a bit of coaching. And a good friend of mine, Tim Don, was being coached by Ben prior to that. And he said, well, why don't you go speak to Ben? I know Ben wants to start mm. coaching some people. So Ben started coaching me, but you know, poor guy, it was difficult for him because I wasn't doing anything. Even though there was mm. training peak stuff getting dumped in, I wasn't doing it. I was telling him I was, all the usual stuff of just head in the sand. So long story short, started, you know, working with the doctor, getting myself through it and just accepting where I was. And got back to training and thought, well, there's no way I'll ever be able to race well again. Well, you know, threw all that away because it felt like forever. You know, it was April, May time and I hadn't raced mm. since October. But um, long story short, I almost won what were called those 5150s back then. Oh, we had a couple, right. we had a couple yeah. of those. There was one in Liverpool, was a couple, and, and, and he said, look, we can get you fit. You can go do a semi uh, an Olympic. By that, mm. you'll get yourself into the run of things and um, almost won the thing. Stuart Hayes almost passed me like you know, 5K into the run. You know, I had a great swim, great bike. I'd only done six weeks of training properly or something, but he just gave me some belief. And we went off and did a little training camp in the Pyrenees. Um, it was a place that um, he knew well because... Um, Bevan and, and um, um, Gemmel had stayed there before Beijing Olympics that had been yeah. their training base. It was just so you maybe yeah, I don't. Probably. Um, it's not quite a pole, but it's not far from um, mm. where's Lourdes, where the yeah, yeah. in that neck of the woods. I'd never been down there. We rode up the Tourmalet a ton of times. I was there for ten days with another good friend of mine, Nick Saunders, who's now helped me with coaching pretty much ever since. Nick was being coached by. Ben at the time so Nick was still racing back then I came along as a little training buddy Ben just knew it would do me some good or thought it would do me some good and I think that's the the eye of a good coach somebody knows how to kind of or hopes they know how to get you out of a hole and just that 10 day block in the Pyrenees that was a light switch for me at the time anyway made a huge difference and then just slowly got back into good routines and started racing again has it been a battle since then? Like, is it a matter of managing yourself? Uh, sort touch of wood. No, I mean, I, I, I mean I, as I said, spoke to Doc about the time. He said these things come in cycles. And it had been about seven years since big um, exams. It studies much earlier in life when it happened then. I thought, was well, this like it? And he said, well, that's kind of something he, as his experiences of a doc, had had um, come across. So who knows? I mean, that was eight years ago. So mm. feeling fine now. But yeah, it, it's something that... Um, yeah, you're a lot more mindful of you. You, you get a lot more um, information now because it's talked about a lot more. Yeah. Um, you can just hopefully come up with coping mechanisms. But it's, no, also, I mean, it's also tough in our sport because people think we're supermen. You know, yeah. like to the average public, doing an Ironman is just ridiculous. And so they look at us on this kind of level that's, 
you know, will you, why would you have anything wrong? And then, so it's also this kind of persona we're trying to maintain. And so reaching for help is quite a hard thing, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously it just comes down to your own family support networks. And I was lucky, everybody, you know, everyone does the best that they can. But unless, you know, even, do- it's, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky old mind, but it's it's probably just that understanding that it's not, it's not something quote unquote wrong with you. It's no. just how to deal with it and mm. figure a way through. So, yeah, but you're right. Something like Ironman or you know, triathlon full stop, not just Ironman, it's bloody tough. Mm. So, you know, you're already trying to make like your life's difficult enough. But but the great thing is it's something you love doing. So if you can find yourself able to do it again, that's what people always say, you know, activity, exercise, yeah. outside, all that stuff helps. And it does help if you're able to do it. Yeah. Mm. You know, so it's getting over that yeah. kind of hump. So this weekend, you know, contrast where you're at, say, 2010 in terms of your fitness, your form, your speed, um, to where you're at now and, and your expectations for the weekend. I mean, expectations-wise, obviously, there's there's swim, bike, run times, positions within the you know the, the field that I, in my head, would like to think I could do. You know, I like to think my swimming's still good enough to be front of the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to lead it anymore. Back in the day, I'd say, yeah, I could lead out the water here, but that's not going to happen now. I just... just not fast enough anymore. It used to mm. my, it used to be just not. I mean, I've raced twice this year. I did Wildflower in May, and I did Staffordshire seventy point three last a uh, couple weeks ago. Mm. Um, and um, it's funny. I, I came out of Staffordshire. There was there was only twelve athletes in the field, but like eight of them were ITU, XITU, good athletes. And here's me swimming along. I'm used to going out hard, kind of feeling myself towards the front of a race and settling in. Might be the front front three, and I suddenly realised I was like the back. I was like, "Huh, what's going on here?" I mean, I was the back and nine guys, but yeah. nine guys can look quite a long way when you're at the back of it, and you're trying yeah. to see the canoe at the front, or there was no canoe. But um, yeah, so you know, basically stayed plonked to the back of that group of nine the rest of the way around. So it's still front group, but it's a group spread by 25 seconds front to back, for example, mm-hmm. which actually turned out to be kind of um, race race changing. The guy that won it, we never saw him again. But anyway, mm-hmm. you know, that's that was my mindset back in the day. Oh yeah, you'll get out of the water at the front. But now, as long as I'm in the front group of there's people. Like Luke Bell, Andy Drides, mm. you know James Kuna must swim well. So there'll be there's no out and out from what I can see standout swimmer here, but mm. I'd hope to be in whatever front group forms. Um, and then the rides, I mean, yeah, I mean I'm feeling good. I think I'm, I've trained I've trained well. I've got no injury excuses to to make. Mm. Um, nutrition and all that stuff that you hear people bang on about all the time. As long as that all goes fine, and I can you know ride a consistent ride. Yeah, I mean, you've got to hope you can ride sub 4.30 here. I mean, that's mm. kind of ballpark in any fast Ironman now. Guys are going to go much quicker. Mm. So, you know, if I can do that and then get off the bike feeling fine and run sub 3, I'll be mm. happy with that. Yeah. And whatever that puts me, that puts me. That would be, that'd be good. That would be way faster than my 8.40 Torsten told me about. So. <laughs> but where it puts me in the race, who knows? I mean, yeah. I, I, my mind always wants me to be competitive. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I think I can win. Of course I don't. But yeah. I do. I would love to think I could be in the mix and top five and running well. And yeah. But there's some really good athletes here. So it'd just be nice to be competitive. Yeah. One thing I was just saying before when we were at the press conference is uh, Lucy Charles, I mean, she won't swim up to, to you, but she's going to swim through a lot of the field because it's only a three-minute gap. And we think back to Kona, she swam up to Sebastian Keenley and Sanders and co. Here, she's going to swim up to probably half of the bloody pro field, isn't she? Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was sitting in the brief and she was just sitting not far around the corner. And I did think, you know, she is going to get herself right through most of the field. You're absolutely yeah. right. I certainly hope she doesn't get close to me. You know, I mean, <laughs> she's a brilliant swimmer. I mean, what a what an ability if, to swim if hard. Was, if she was starting with the guys, she'd probably be close to leading it out. Totally. She? She, I'm sure in her mindset, she'd want to lead it out and she yeah. probably could. I mean, See, she'll I, have an amazing, I mean, I, I shudder to think what her 200 freestyle time, you know, she will yeah. have more speed than anybody here without yeah. doubt without doubt yeah. she, I, I love her she's just got an air of confidence isn't she 
you know, like some, you know, a lot of people play it down, and Daniela's got it um, as well. But there's just a, there's an air of confidence about her. I mean, I don't know her. She seems a lovely girl, but yeah, certain from what I read, and you know, as an outsider, it seems that way. I well, mean, even in the press what? conference, she said, "Oh, I am a winner." Ah, uh, well, yeah. she is. I mean, yeah, yeah. you can't yeah, argue. But that's how she self-identifies, and she says it. You can't you know? argue with her yeah. resume, can you? I yeah. mean, geez, oh, yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. to see the race. Yeah. So how many more, you know, what, what's your plan after this race and, and how long have you got left in the, in the body? I mean, certainly, yeah, I certainly hope the rest of this year, without doubt. But I mean, that that's definitely, um, I mean, this might be it. I've, you know, I've certainly told, you know, plenty of people that are bothered to listen that this might well be the last year. So there's good reasons for me wanting to go and do races like this. Went back and did Wildflower, for example, did that. Mm. One of the very first halves I ever did wow. when I was younger, because I just heard about it and read about it. I thought, you've got to do that. Well, so talk about this, because back in the day, Wildflower, yeah. Whoa. Now, is it well, that, so that was um, yeah. You're right. When I was buying mags and stuff when I was younger, you'd read about it and you say that's one of these. St. Croix was another one, and I did that once. I'm glad I did. You know, it was one of those ones you th- um, did that in that year of 2010 too. But um, loved it and did it twice. 2008, 2009, when I went over and did some training early days in California, um, and just never got back for one reason or another. It clashed with things like St. Croix, and then started racing more in Europe and didn't travel to the states. And then the race foot fell apart. Um, and then Ironman do what they do and they put races like St. George on the same day so then they suck you know they, they, mm. it just becomes a problem for non-branded events like mm. um, or M. dot branded so when it fell off the calendar we all thought well, that's a shame we never go back and did it and it's gone now um, and you know brilliant to see it come back so I thought well wouldn't it be great to go and support it and mm. I think loads of people there had the same feeling, not just the pros, but just racing full stop. And it's such an iconic race in that part of the world. You know, such a cool vibe. It's all camping. I mean, well, I wasn't camping, but we, um, most people do. It's you know, you run through the campsites on the run course. People are cheering. It's a festival. There's like a mountain biking race. There's an Olympic. It's U.S. college champs, I think, or it used to be, or certainly in that part of the world. It's all the big colleges going race. So there's a real sort of f- um, family stroke party atmosphere, if that makes sense. Yeah. And um, you know, you've got quite a lot of athletes there for all the races. I think they said back in the day they had about 10,000 across all the races, and this year they had five. So it's much smaller, but it's certainly viable. Mm-hmm. So it hopefully bodes well for it staying on the on the calendar. And it's one of those ones, it's easy to say because it's far away from Europe, but if you can do it, it's brilliant. Mm. And so the rest of the season, are you looking at I mean Wales or anything like that? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I've, I've you know, this one, and then, um, you know, we we are lucky we've got quite a few. So, like, Dublin 70.3 is in August. Weymouth 70.3 mm. is in September. That keeps me in the UK. That's easy to go and do. Certainly we will aim to go and do those. If I got offered a slot for World 70.3s because they're back in South Africa, mm. I would be tempted, not because I think I'm competitive, you know, but I would like to go and do it one more time. I haven't done mm. World's... 70.3s for a long time and I, as I said before loads of fond memories of South Africa um, so if I did that that might mean I wouldn't do Wales um, but Wales is a, again one of those ones I'd love to go back and do because I had a cracking battle there in 2014 with Matty Troutman we were like shoulder to shoulder till 25k in the run mm. which was great fun like literally swam together bite together then just the two of us left ran together and he only won by two minutes so that was that was great fun loads of um, memories there and it's one of those races that the whole town comes out to support mm. um, which I'm sure you've heard about so yeah it's a really cool race um it's just there's too many races and unfortunately i'm not one of these people that can bang out ironman's right left and center so we'll see how body pulls up but um, what about post-career what's what's the um well good question um i mean you love to stay in the industry because you know it so well um and all the people you've met and but that's kind of pie well i say pie in the sky i shouldn't if you really want to find a way then you maybe could but um i'm not entirely sure that's where I'll stay or not. I mean, um, started doing, I mean, I'm not, I don't do coaching. My brother, younger brother Blair set up a coaching business. I've put my name to it just if that helps, but 
people always assume, oh, you just go and do more coaching. And, and I, I'm not really sure I'm be very, very good at it because mm. it doesn't mean just because you know how to race, you know yeah. how to coach, obviously. Um, not that that stops a lot of people. But um, <laughs> um, I, I studied engineering. I um, never used it, but mm. I have started speaking to people to see, is, is the degree still useful? Apparently it is, but I mean, obviously I've never worked in the industry. So, you know, look at seeing whether a chemical engineering degree is still useful enough, but we'll see. Um, I mean, I would certainly miss triathlon. I've done it since I finished studying. That's a long old time. Yeah. But, mm. um, really lucky to have been able to, you know, everywhere I've seen in the world pretty much is because of triathlon. And, mm. you know, you speak to most of us that race pro and I, most of us will say the same thing. The, the travel that you get to do, the people you meet, this example here sitting in a farmhouse in <laughs> rural Bavaria, you know, having sausages from a lunch that came from the butchery down. So, I mean, it's kind of With mad. With no butter. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, I have been so fortunate to, to do a ton of stuff because of triathlon. So, you know, not, no complaints, been brilliant. And, um, you know, hopefully it's not, it's not the end end. It sounds awfully dramatic. But yeah, all good things come to an end. And so if people want to follow you, um, what's the uh, means to do? Are you Facebook or Yeah, Instagram I mean, or? Bit of, I don't do huge amounts of social, but Fraser Try on Twitter, I think. Um, Fraser Cartmel on Instagram, I think it is. And I have a website, FraserCartmel.com, do the old blog and stuff. But um, yeah, bits and pieces. Excellent. Oh, we look forward to seeing you out there on the weekend and uh, seeing a two in front of that that, that, uh, that run time and uh, we'll, we'll see how we go. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. Okay, next up we've got uh, Rajesh Durbal and he's just been introduced at the press conference and the uh, difference here is Rajesh is an amputee. He's, uh, you, can, you can tell us about what's going on here so I uh, get it right because I can't see exactly where your amputees start but tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, I was born with congenital deformities of both of my legs which means uh, they were not fully developed properly. I was missing ankles, missing some toes and missing the fibulas and um, basically when I was a year old, my parents decided to amputate all of that, put the fibulas in, and I was in a half body cast for six months so I could heal. Yep. And so what has led you to be on the start line and wrote, you know, what, what, how has life gone for you up to this stage in terms of being doing an Ironman triathlon uh, this weekend? Life is a triathlon, I think. Uh, I think there's so many different disciplines in triathlon that you have to learn how to master and manage and organize through and emotions and physical pain, mental pain. And I think life in general is, is, is comprised of all of that. So the start line of, a, of an Ironman is being able to manage all the things behind the scenes to just to make it to the, fin the, the starting line and the finishing line. So what, what do you do with yourself uh, outside of triathlon? I work. I do a lot of uh, social media, a lot of videos, motivational talks, corporate talks. Um, I did a lot of school talks here in uh, Roth, mm -hmm. and um, so I do. That keeps me very, very busy. And then I do a lot of real estate investing as well on the side. Yeah. And and what about other sports? You know, often we we see um, para athletes coming into triathlon. Maybe they've done other sports. Have you have you gone down the the Olympic path or anything like that, or done any other sports? Yeah, I, at the very beginning, before it was the Paralympics, they were, they were very, a lot smaller. And I did uh, sprinting and skiing. And I was always very active in, in track and field with this discus and shot put. So I always did sport before it became the Paralympics. And um, the, that kept, kept me active. And then, um, and then I got away from that. Career and life got in the way. Yeah. And then, uh, then I... I rediscovered that I can I can maybe get back in the game, and I just started walking 5Ks. That's how I started, and then um, that evolved into triathlon. 
So you had the guy from Dativ, who's a major sponsor, just talking to you before we started, and you get to go on the, the wave at 6.30, the very first wave, which I was in last year, and I was going backwards, but uh, you're probably going to be getting passed by a few people out there at the weekend. What's, what's your, your goal time um, to be finishing by? Goal time, I just try not to put too much pressure. I just, I really just want to focus on putting the swim, bike, and a run together. But it would be nice to to maybe go sub 12 hours if I can. I think mm. my coach thinks I can do it. I think I could do it. I feel strong enough to do it. Um, but that means I just don't, I don't get to really enjoy the atmosphere if I'm pushing that hard. Yeah. So uh, that might that might slip because I might, I, I still want to enjoy the race and see the race and embrace the people. Um, so maybe, you know, 13 hours would be nice, 12 hours would be nice, 12, in the 12 range would be really nice, yeah. And what's the biggest challenge for you in terms of your um, amputations on, on race day, in terms of does, is the run just a jarring, or what, what's the most tricky part for you, and maybe compared to Hawaii where it might be the winds on the bike, you know, what's the big, hardest part of the day for you? Hardest part is, is uh, sweat management in a prosthetic. Um, there's no way to, to get the sweat out. So once the sweat goes, you, once you can start sweating, you, you start moving around in the legs. And then it's the equivalent of running with a big shoe, not tied, so you're just flopping around. So you lose a lot of power on the bike. Um, and then you lose a lot of power on the run because you're in and out of the leg. So you really can't put the power down as, as, as knowing, knowing what you can put down once you start sweating. Um, that's really, really hard to manage. That's one of the biggest challenges. And then the, the, the second one is, um, Managing the skin breakdown um, so you don't get blisters in, in those sore spots while you're cycling for so long so that you'll be able to run. Yeah, yeah that's the hardest part too. Um, yeah. do, do you stop at all during the, the race to, to actually try to manage that? You know, might lose five minutes on the bike by stopping and do, addressing that to save 15 minutes on the run? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of times I, I, I would pull back on the bike even though I know it could push harder because the leg is moving around or it's just not working properly for me so I'd have to, I'd have to slow down so I could manage the, 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 the pain or, or the sweat. Um, sometimes I stop and readjust the sleeves and, and you know try to, try to get it sealing again properly. So I do lose some time on the bike. And, but that translates better, better run, you know. So yeah. And if people want to follow you and, and uh, your story and so on, what's the best way to do that? Just rajeshdurbal.com or uh, live-free.net or in my social media, it's rajeshdurbal. They can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for your time and uh, good luck with the race. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> right, guys. So we've made it down to the expo. And Bevan and I have both got ourselves uh, some 20, jacket. 20 euro jackets. These challenge wrote jackets for 20 euros. It was a bargain. Well, it's pouring with rain, so it was actually perfect because we walked in. I don't need a t shirt. John did have the undercoat, very wise. And walked in, $20. And when we say jacket, it's a proper jacket, so we're very happy. We are indeed. So we've been in Germany now for, I've been here for seven or eight days and haven't seen a drop of rain. And first day of registration, maybe second day, and it's uh, it's raining pretty decent. And tonight is supposed to be the open air movie and oh, registration, and we're going to be doing the night run in about 45, oh no, a couple of hours. Yep. So not the best start today. No. But anyway, we've come down to Tanyapura, and in Tanyapura, the weather's always warm, it's always sunny, <laughs> and even if it's raining, it's warm. So we've got Alexandra here who's uh, based down in Tanyapura and just going to find out a little bit about what's going on. So uh, welcome along to the show and um, 
Tell us a little bit about just what's been changing over over Tanyapur over the last period, because there has been quite a few changes, personnel changes and so on. So tell us a bit about what's going on you know, recently. Okay, so um, first of all, thank you for having me here and welcome to our nice booth <laughs> under, the, <laughs> under the rain of Germany. Uh, yeah, so what has changed? Um, I get asked uh, very often if uh, Chris McCormick, Mecca, is still involved in Tanyapura. I uh, would like to take this opportunity to say no, he's not involved anymore. Um, he left one and a half years ago and is focusing on his other projects and Super League. Mm. And um, what about, and, uh, often we get asked the question, I want to come and do some training, I want to bring my family and so on. What, do you have anything available for, for families and stuff if they want to come down, if one person wants to train and then the, they maybe have a partner or kids or what's, what's the deal there? Yeah, we have many things going on. So we have around 80 uh, group classes every week. So we have group classes for yoga, for mind training, for swimming, triathlon, cycling, Muay Thai, tennis. So there's a huge variety. You can also, a part of the group training session, you can also do personal training, one-on-one. -on -one. And we also do programs for kids. So for swimming, we do um, um, baby swimming, learn to swim programs. So it's from beginners up to... Up to Olympic level. So everybody is welcome at Tanyapura. I know we sometimes have give, gave the impression in the past that only professional athletes are welcome, but it's the opposite. So we would like to help people to get into sports, get better in the sports or find their favorite sports. And how, how far are you guys from, from Phuket if, if people want to go out and do touristy sort of stuff? How far away are you guys? So we are 15 minutes from the beach, uh, from, from the um, most uh, nearest beach, and 25 minutes from Phuket town. We offer two free shuttles per day to the closest beach, and we also offer free shuttles to um, Phuket town uh, to the night market in Boat Lagoon, in Laguna. And you guys, you guys put on camps as well, don't you? So if, like, if you're an athlete thinking about doing a camp, you can actually go along, you guys, not just the group classes, but actually like an organised camp. Yes, yeah, so we have uh, right now coming up in August the Challenge Taiwan Camp. So this is one, and then we have different camps over the high season. So high season is for us between November and April. So the different camp organisers come and, and arrange a camp with us. But people can have uh, the possibility to come on their own. Either they train on their own, they join our triathlon program, or they come with their own training group and bring their own trainer. Mm. It's ideal. If guys want to come out with, the, with your club or whatever, great opportunity. Um, how, how big is the actual facility in terms of how many rooms and, and that you can actually, how many people can you take? Okay, so the whole area has 23 hectares. Our hotel is not that big. We have only 114 rooms. Oh, wow. It's 77 rooms uh, mainly for sports people and uh, 37 rooms for health guests. So because at Tanyapura we are not only sports, we have also a health and wellness part. So we help people to lose weight, to detoxify their body or just to get back into an active lifestyle and into healthy nutrition. We have uh, many experts. We have a certified nutritionist who can make meal plans if you want to weight, uh, lose weight, if you want to um, build muscles, if you want to go for an Ironman, so we have the nutritionist on site, we have a chiropractic, we have two physiotherapists, so there are many things to do. We have at the facilities a 50 meter pool and a 25 meter pool, running track, a 900 square meter fitness center, restaurant, so you find everything. When we got down to the, the, the tent down here, there was uh, two, two people, that, Alexander wasn't here, and they just started raving about the place. One guy's, yeah. One, one was saying he, he's, he's moved there and he's staying there for, for long term to just train. Another lady who's based over here in Germany, and she's saying, 
I'm loving it. And she's anybody that walks past, she's saying, you've got to come, you've got to come. Yeah. So we'll be down there. The plan is to be next October. So if you want to get a part, piece of the action, we'll be down there doing some training, checking out the whole area. So uh, And also if you've just got like a family, if you've got a family, you're an athlete yourself, the good thing is it's got something for the whole family. And, and you know, the, the, let's say one partner wants to do the mind body, you can do your triathlon stuff. Got some kids and get involved in sport in a fun way. It's kind of go see the elephants. Yeah, and go see the elephants. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. So it's, it's, it is really a pretty awesome resource. I'm really looking forward to heading over ourselves. So we'll be there next October. So if you want to get on it, uh, come join us. Thanks very much for your time, Alexandra. Thank you. Have a good time. So it's recording. When it says it's recording, you think it's recording. Uh, John, I'm sitting next to. I need a name. Oh, you're not talking to you. You're a peasant. Uh, we've got a name, and where you're from? Alistair Flat from Dubai. But from Ireland, Scotland. <laughs> I said that to him the other day, didn't I? Yes, you did indeed. <laughs> I'm pretty sharp with accents. Hey, so tell us a little bit about your your triathlon experience. Not very much. Uh, maybe four four and a half years ago, started triathlon. I did a, an Ironman three years ago now in Mont Tremblant, and I've eventually managed to get round to do another one now. Back it up. You didn't do the John Newson three year patent John Newson no. three year plan. Severe mistake. So, so for someone who's gone from kind of introducing yourself to sport to doing Ironman, what were some of the biggest mistakes you made because you kind of did it too quickly? Try and ride my bike a bit too hard every time. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, running too hard. Try, yeah. Trying to run faster when I'm slow. I don't know. All these sort of things. So many injuries. This is the biggest problem. Oh, really? So you, you actually kind of did damage to your body because you weren't as... Yeah, always, always have uh, some kind of leg injury, mainly running. Yeah. So the challenge is to get through the, the Ironman without getting injured. That's, that's the aim. And, and so your trajectory, you did your first Ironman, you're in the sport for a year. What's been the trajectory from that moment forward? Uh, to be honest, uh, I've, I've kept at it and I've actually really, really enjoyed it. Since since I finished Ironman, I've, I've done uh, maybe 170.3. I've kept training for the last sort of two years continuously. And for me, it's just now part of life. So really enjoy it. Dubai, Dubai, uh, for us from the other parts of the world, you think Dubai, you think it must be a crazy place to train. Is that true? And also, how would that differ from someone who's maybe in Scotland training? To be honest, it's, uh, it's maybe crazy from the point of view there's so many triathletes there. Yeah, because um, it's, it's got a big community, yeah. Massive community. Um, and Tri Dubai and, and the clubs there are very successful worldwide and sort of Ironman standings and all these sort of things. But there's loads of triathletes, so it's really easy to train. There's lo- the, weather's, uh, the weather's good. Although the summer's hot, the rest of the time it's perfectly okay. So f- to come from Scotland is actually a hundred times easier to train than Dubai. In, in the summer heat, is it time of day? Like, do you get up stupid o'clock? Yeah, four o'clock in the morning, three thirty in the morning start. Yeah, mm-hmm. three thirty start. Sometimes, yeah, for the guys, four o'clock's quite normal, wow. and for the long stuff. So it's nice. It's okay, but you get used to it. So everything's four or five o'clock in the morning. How long, how long have you been in Dubai, in Dubai for? Uh, doing triathlons? No, just in general? Um, to be honest, four, four and a half years. So you pretty much went there and started triathlon? Yes. Oh, no, in Dubai, sorry. Dubai, eight years. Oh, okay. Eight years in Dubai. So at three and a half years there of being particularly unhealthy, growing a wee bit larger, and uh, then deciding well, maybe need to do something about this. Wow. And what has tri- triathlon brought to your life? Um, to be honest, pain, <laughs> acceptance of pain. Um, no, to be honest, I've met a whole different group of people. No triathlon, cycling, all these things in Dubai have you no know, helped me develop a whole new group of people. 
I'm much more healthy than I was before, and to be honest, I'm the fittest I've ever been in my life, so I've got to say it's, it's been very positive. How old are you now? 48. 48, the big 5 is coming, the big 5 is coming. What's it? it must be pretty cool to think this is the fittest moment in your life. It is, yeah, sometimes sometimes it feels like it, sometimes it doesn't when you're out in the bike and you're, you're knackered, but you have to look back and say, yeah, it probably is the fittest I've been. And, and I notice a difference in the rest of my life because I'm, I'm much more... Um, much more energy, much more up for it, and uh, no, I've got a busy job as well, and no, I enjoy it. So, so like it, it gives you a sense of energy, but also gives you kind of processing time for life. Yeah, it also gives you time to sort of de-stress. Yeah, you know, and it gives you a focus as well, just for yourself, just a focus to try and get better. So it takes the pressure maybe away from other things. That that's the only sort of focus you can focus on something that's individual. Yeah, that's good. What about um, this weekend? Well, you know, this is your second full distance race. Uh, this is a pretty iconic race. So what's kind of the do you have a plan or do you have a goal or is it what is it for you? There's only one goal today. And I found out Adam's got the same time as me. Oh, so back it up! So it's to beat Adam, Philby, and the and the Roth Ironman. And, and are you and starting? That's, that's the, are you starting the same swim league? No, oh. I'm, I'm I'm quite a bit further down the pack. Oh. So, so if he's passing you, Adam, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're both 12.08 the last time we did an Ironman, so hopefully it'll be faster than 12.08. I've got no expectation. What about our shout-outs to people back home? Um, I'll give, give a shout-out to the, the guys at BR, um, BR Triathlon team. I've got a good team of guys that we train with every week, so they're a good uh, good bunch of guys, and try Dubai, uh, anybody who trains with them. Good times, mate. Oh, John's got a question. Uh, what's your I Am Talk nickname? Sweet. Sweet Fleet uh, Feet Fleet That's what it is Sweet Feet Sweet Feet Fleet That's it oh. It's not an easy one to say no, well, you pronounced my second name wrong But don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> If I said it I guarantee to get it wrong you got no hope Hey thanks a lot mate Hey no worries Cheers 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 John you're right there mate <laughs> He looks like he's suspicious uh, Name and where you're from So Adam Philby from the UK Adam Philby from the UK, uh, you're loving the football? Absolutely, especially as uh, some of our fiercest rivals are uh, out of the competition already. So uh, not a better place to be than a German bar. On the I'm just going to pull across to Ollie, right? Ollie, come here. So look, the, the Germans lost last night. And what, did you, what happened at breakfast this morning? So it was good. Uh, a German guy came and joined us for breakfast. And uh, first thing I said to him was, did you catch any of that game last night? <laughs> Germans. We walked in. Eh? We walked in as the last of the game. Just saw a depressed room of people. I tell you, and you're loving it, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Could be better. But you, you, you haven't made the commitment as a football fan tonight because you're in the running race, not watching the game. Well, you know, John was running, so I thought I can't, uh, you know, let him get a have an easy race. Oh, yeah. nice, nice. Um, so, so tell us about your triathlon experience. So I've been doing triathlon now for about four years. Started out doing a couple of Olympics, uh, moved up to 70.3 and did my first Ironman in Florida uh, last year, last November. What, what got you into the sport? Uh, one of my friends. So uh, guys to work with, Pete McLean, pretty uh, good athlete down in, uh, in Sydney. I used to work with him, started, went out for a few runs with him at work and, uh, you know, he was uh, talking consistently about Ironman and, you know, just uh, you know, felt the buzz. So I, uh, you know, tried, you know, trained myself a little bit, and then went and found a coach, and uh, yeah. I had the coach Bill Wally, you know. <laughs> um, uh, and and so then building up. So you, you actually took about three years to do an Ironman. 
Yeah, it was about three years, I think, from start to... The patent and plan, the patent and plan. Patent and John Newsom three-year plan. Uh, and what are some of the lessons you learnt along the way? I think the main one um, would be about trying to achieve some consistency in the training. Um, always pretty difficult with, you know, sort of work-life balance, um, pretty busy job. You know, family with kids, um, it's pretty challenging. So I think, um, you know, consistency is the main thing, but also staying injury-free. So that's been one of the, you know, if I look at any breaks I've had in training, it's normally because of injury. So it's okay. devoting more time to that part of the uh, the training, really. You, you say consistency is important, um, but you do have a busy life, family and kids. So actually, how do you make sure you maintain consistency? Yeah, that's pretty difficult. So um, <laughs> it's early mornings, I think, is the only way, um, which I'm not an early morning person. So when I have had really good consistency, it's when I've been committing to getting up in the morning. You know, uh, living in the UK, that's pretty challenging in the winter yeah. when it's dark outside. Yeah. Uh, and the weather's like it is in Germany today with, uh, with rain. In the summer, it's a bit easier. But yeah, it's, I think if you want to get the train done, it's got to be done first thing in the day. Yeah. And then uh, everything, you know, because your days never go to plan. But uh, to get train done first. And so you just see there's one opportunity, make sure you take it. Yeah, and if not, it's, it's going to be second place to something else later in the day. What do you see your strengths as an athlete? Ah, uh, <laughs> weaknesses would be easier to describe, but... Uh, I'll get there, I'll get there. <laughs> um, I think, I, you know, I enjoy the sports. I think if you enjoy enjoy what you're doing, that's one of the strengths. Um, I had a, had a, you know, I was a reasonably good runner as a kid, um, but that form hasn't reappeared. So, it's uh, <laughs> a good PBs uh, over 5K, but uh, that was 20 years ago. So, uh, yeah, running's definitely my strongest. Um, you know, I'm... I'm getting there on the swim, slowly getting on the bike. But again, you know, I think it's a couple, you know, a couple more years before I sort of get the form that I want to see. Really, yeah. I think it's commitment to the, uh, you know, to a long, to long-term goals. Yeah. So, have you? What have you, you learned this week? You know, you do most of your training by yourself. So, what's it been like this week actually training with other people? Yeah, that's been invaluable, really. Um, you know, I have done a lot of training by myself um, and probably haven't pushed myself as hard as I could do. Okay. You know, the volume this week was even by probably Wednesday. You know, we got out here on Friday. Probably by Tuesday, um, you know, I'd done more training than I would probably do in a normal week. Um, still felt pretty fresh. Um, felt good. So I think, yeah, one is I've learned I can do more volume than I probably think. Yeah. And then secondly, you know, it has benefited me hugely training with the, with the group out here. And that's something I want to try and carry on back at home. And tell us what, what was happening about one year ago, if you want to. Back it up. <laughs> Back it up. You don't have to. Yeah, sure. So I was supposed to do, uh, supposed to do this race last year. Um, my daughter, Florence, uh, she's nine now. On 12th of May last year, she had a liver transplant. So I was the donor for that. I gave her half my liver. So I couldn't, uh, I had to pull out of the race and uh, defer to this year. So it's quite a watershed moment being back here and uh, getting things back on track. What was it like to go through? Uh, yeah, mentally pretty tough. A uh, long period of time waiting for the transplant, and in the end, uh, it got to the point where you know really needed to do something quite quickly. So I qualified as a donor, so I decided that I'd go ahead and uh, and do that. Um, for me, I just lie down in the operating theatre for eight hours, woke up. You know, lots of good drugs they give you. Um, so that part of it wasn't very hard. I think it's probably hard for my wife, you know, with me in the operating theatre, my daughter in the operating theatre, and then her, you know, having to kind of hold everything together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mainly it's a more of a mental thing than physical. I was pretty wiped out after just for about 12 weeks when my body healed. And then, uh, yeah, 14 weeks trained. Um, yeah, 14 weeks from then. So 12 weeks off, 14 weeks training, then did Ironman Florida. And uh, what was it like? 
Yeah, because it's your first race as well, yeah, isn't it? It's my first yeah. race. I think John said if I didn't have the flight books, uh, it wouldn't necessarily be uh, beyond the plan. But as I was going out there anyway, no, it was good. I didn't have um, any pressure. You know, there's no pressure on me to do. It's my first one. Yeah. Um, the training, I'd, I'd done what I could do in the time that I had, made the most of that. It was, I think, a pretty easy one for the first one. Uh, you know, it's very supportive. The swim was pretty easy, pretty flat. Weather was fine, bike course was flat, run course was flat. And there was a lot of support, you know, very enthusiastic crowd out in Florida. So there was a lot of support, you know, from other competitors and from the spectators. This weekend, uh, Roat, you know, is one of the kind of iconic races on the calendar. What's the plan other than trying to take out this man here? Yeah, so taking out Alastair is, 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 the, uh, is the number one plan. So, uh, yeah, no, I'd like to do, uh, you know, like to improve upon what I did in Florida. Um, I think the course is more interesting, whilst the uh, the, the bike course is, is more hilly. The road surface is, as everyone will say, is, is very fast. And we rode the course, uh, I think, on the second day of the camp. And, uh, you know, I thought that was invaluable. But I think, yeah, I think I'd improve my swim time, improve on my, uh, my bike, and then just try and hold it together on the run as best as possible. And if I could, uh, you know, first and foremost, you know, beat Alistair and then uh, anything after that PB uh, no I want to enjoy I want to enjoy the event really it seems like a great atmosphere and you know out here with a great bunch of people so uh, yeah I'm looking to enjoy it and uh, try not to collapse on the uh, the run if possible and any shout outs yeah so uh, it's my family my wife Shelley my daughter Florence uh, my son Alexander and also to my uh, friend Pete McLean who uh, got me into the sport and also to my buddy Amir Khan who uh, you know, he needs to be in the sport and uh, he's, he's getting back into his running these days. So, uh, yeah, he needs to shift his ass a little bit. You heard it, mate. You heard it. Get out and shift your ass. Hey, thanks for your time, mate. Sorry. <laughs> okay, names. I've got two here, but names and places. Uh, Brent. Why, Chan. One of the best things. <laughs> from Victoria, BC, Canada. And he's got a training buddy here. Christopher Mavrikos from Victoria, BC, Canada. So, so first of all, let's start with where your triathlon experience started. Uh, it actually started with the local YMCA triathlon in Victoria, so I had to learn to swim. The Y taught me how to swim, and then we did a non-timed fun event in Victoria about 2011. Went from playing football and too many injuries in rugby in high school and started uh, running, and then that turned into cycling, and then it was like, do a duathlon, and then somebody looked at me and says, you're not a real athlete until you do a triathlon. So threw myself in the pool about five years ago and it's been an awesome road ever since and a couple of half irons and an Ironman and now I'm here to do Roth for the first time. And, and this is your this your second race? Second iron distance race, yeah. So you come from a running background originally, tell us about that. Yeah, I uh, started running in my 30s when a uh, local team wanted to do a relay for a Times Collins 10k in our hometown and I realized that I couldn't run so I had to do the walk run, ran down the end of the block and huffed and puffed and and took it from there. So that was 15, 16 years ago. What, what's triathlon brought to your life? You know, because it's obviously being at a point where a walk around down the block is pretty challenging to now you're doing with an Ironman. Like, what's it brought to your life? Yeah, you know, even more than the fitness, because, you know, we talk now, like our normal training weekend is like the, is a, a goal event for many people that we, we see around the world. And for us, you know, being able to just go out and do that at anything, saying yes to any kind of exercise or any kind of event we want to do is just, it's really, it's really invigorating, you know? But more importantly than that, triathlons bought me a whole different group of friends and a whole different group of people that are really part of my life now than, than uh, you know, back before I was doing it. And they, that's a lot of what, you know, it keeps me in the There's a community. Yeah, absolutely a community for me. And, and it's a community around a good thing in your life, isn't it? Like it's empowering, growing, isn't it? No question. I, I wouldn't have met Brent without 
triathlon and many others in our group. And, uh, you know, an event like this is a life experience without question. And I mean, we're so lucky to have had our names pulled to do this. And, uh, but like Brent says, you know, you get up, you get up in the morning, stupid o'clock and you join a buddy or two buddies and you're out for a ride. You see the sunrise, you go for a swim at the lake and there's nobody there and it's just pristine and quiet. It's just, it's something to yourself. And I know Brent's got a very busy job back home. I have a very busy job. I run a restaurant. I've got two young kids. My wonderful, supportive wife's here, who keeps saying to me after this one, "No more iron distances." <laughs> but uh, many, many, many athletes have heard that one. Yeah. But uh, you know, to have that balance and um, to empower you know other people around us. You know, they look at the opportunities we've been had and what we've gone out and cha- challenged ourselves to to push our limits. You know, and I've, I have people that you know work for me that. They see me go and do this and like, you know, that's it. I'm going to sign up and do the 10K back home in the spring or I'm going to do the marathon. Help me, help me get there. And, you know, when you have that opportunity to give back as well, it's empowering. And it, like you said, it's, it's created community and it's definitely about the life of sport and living through sport, I think is it, it just empowers oneself, but it also powers the community around you. What, 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 what is the thing you find most challenging about triathlon? It's certainly the time. Like, it's, you know, trying to be good at all three sports and balancing that, as, as Chris says, with our jobs and with our families. I've got a very supportive wife and a daughter who does triathlon. My wife bought me a bike. That's yeah, how supportive no, I Say, well, wife of the year is arriving tomorrow. She bought you a bike. Yeah, she surprised me with a bicycle. She, she's the one that bought me the bike bag a few years ago as well. So, you know, she's been very supportive, bought me all this gear to try and, you know, support me in this. And But, you know, it's, it is the time. Like, it does take a lot of time to, to be good at the sport. And, and you just got to find that, you know, the balance in life. With the- How much is it about also being realistic around the growth and the goals? You know, because, sure, like when I was doing Ironman, I could train 30 hours a week. So I could set some pretty ambitious goals because it was kind of the main thing in my life. I didn't, my career was... I did have a career, but it wasn't time-hungry. So how much is that about managing expectations so you can still feel successful but also be realistic around what you can fit for the time you have? Yeah, no, that's very true. Because, you know, I talk to my coach from time to time, and he goes, I can get you to Kona, but you wouldn't have a family, you wouldn't have a job. And, and you know what? And Chris and I, we, we, we like to have, you know, we time in triathlon but we you know our families are important to us and our careers are important to us and we both have to you know spend time with those things and you know my wife gives me every couple of years an iron man chris is last one for a young yeah last one for a couple and chris is working through a younger family than i do and you know so is you got to take that into consideration and for you the biggest kind of biggest challenge for you in triathlon well from the start it was the swim for sure i'll never forget the first time i went into the pool i thought i was going to die i mean you go from playing 90 minutes football and competitively and then you chuck yourself into a pool and I was like, I, w- I-, I got out at one point point. I said, this isn't going to happen. Yeah. But I think it's the challenge, but I, th- I think you embrace the challenge and with the challenge becomes the education and the education becomes the experience. And what I mean by that is, you know, having gone through the challenges of the swimming and learning how to cycle properly and the endurance of and managing the nutrition and, and then the, the hydration, all those different pieces that you put together and the experience of. So you start out in the very beginning, you know, you're eager and you just go out there and you're trying to hammer at all and you finish and you're like just done and you didn't really get really what you thought you would get out of it but then you learn from other people like you know wisdom's been passed down like Brent was fantastic for me last year with my first Ironman at Ironman Canada and Whistler amongst others and you know telling me little bits and pieces and that's what kind of got you along the way and with that experience and you garner through the challenges and then you get to the finish and it's just so rewarding the question though you're both sitting here with some Erdinger alcohol fried beer how does the taste compare to a normal beer? 
well, I'm not much of a beer drinker, so but uh, it tastes pretty good. I think uh, Erdinger does a very good job with their alcohol-free beer. I have to say, spot on. Honestly, you guys are gonna be the next aid for them. I tell you, you know, this is, uh, this is the second one I've had since I've been in Germany. I'll have to be honest. It's from restaurants as well, John. So he knows alcohol. It's 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 spot on. They do a great job. Well, well, tell us about the the kind of triathlon scene in British Columbia. Yeah, well, we live in Victoria, which is the home of the National Triathlon Training Center for, for Canada. And, you know, we can go to a Friday morning swim and swim with Simon Whitfield and swim with Melanie McQuaid and Sarah Gross. And, you know, Olympic athlete Brent McMahon comes out of those, you know. And then there'll be people there that swim three minutes, 100 meters. And, and you know, it's a huge community. There's six or seven big tri-clubs in Victoria alone, you know, and they're all inter- interspersed and we can train with each one and, you know, in different activities we have. Tuesday time trials and Wednesday swim run events every week, you know, for five dollars, and you know, so it's just a great, really supportive community and really great opportunities. Sounds like it's broken. And I think with the emergence of social media and the accessibility, it's really changed the game as well. Because you know, like Facebook, for example. I mean, obviously that's how I found you guys through Brent as well. And then beyond that, for us in the tri community, you know, one person posts a thing on Monday rides, and next thing you know, there's 35 people on it, and you've always got 10 people to ride with. What's the weather like there for training? Because like, Canada can have pretty extreme weather, so is, that, is it the same where you are? Yeah, so basically, let's. I mean, summers are summer, we all know what those are like, they're pretty good. So when we go into the fall, we get what we call an Indian summer, usually it kind of goes right through almost to Halloween, then it kind of gets a bit crisp. If we get hit hard with winter early, it's more cold and wet, and then it progresses into the depth of the winter in December where we can get a touch of snow, uh, and then usually that finishes off in January, and then it kind of warms up, but it's more warm up for us, it's a lot of rain. Our springs are pretty heavy we spent a lot of time out in the wet 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 uh, rain wet running wet um, man but it's not it's not what you would think Canadian cold feet of snow we live on an island off the west coast so you know for us cold is two or three below cel- you know, zero celsius so it's, very similar to Christchurch. it's wet winters. it's a wet cold though yeah. I'm not, I've never been to Christchurch I'd love to get there it's a wet cold it's just different my wife's from the Kootenays which is in the interior in the middle of the province or the east part of the province and the dry cold is totally different and as you progress across our country the dry cold is actually more manageable although you cannot train in it as much as we can train in the in the temperate winter if you will what do you think your greatest strength as a triathlete is um, probably the fact that I know I'm gonna finish like I did some adventure racing before you know weekend stuff and multi-day adventure racing you know I know that barring an injury or barring a major mechanical that I can't finish fix that I know that I will get to the finish line under this stuff because I'll just keep going until I get there I've learned how to suffer and I think that was the one thing I had in my back pocket going into Ironman last year that no matter what I could suffer I've sadly been through a lot in my life and those have changed who I am and my outlook on life and the pain doesn't matter because I've dealt with other pains in my life and so I can suffer and I rely on that as if I have to hopefully I don't have to go there but in a way when we do this distance we're gonna suffer regardless right and this weekend what's the goal or or, or feelings about the race yeah you know for us coming to challenge with about the experience we wanted to experience the whole event we're here for you know the Erdinger party we wanted to see the we're gonna watch the the movie later and things like that so it's part of being here for the whole event but also, you know, I still think that this is a course that I'm gonna, uh, only doing a second iron distance race. It's yeah. likely going to be a PR in any way, yeah. you know. But the course is fantastic, and it's fast, and it's, it's, it looks like a lot of fun. So, yeah. um, 
for me, obviously, you know, to finish, everybody says that, which I have no doubt of because I'm just, I'm dedicated to it. But um, I'm pretty excited about the fact we also have some friends and family actually here from Germany. My best friend played pro hockey here in the country. And so it's it's so funny how everything comes full circle. I've been, this is the third time I've been to Germany and I've been to Nuremberg twice. That's where I used to play pro, married a woman from here. So we're staying with her parents as our host family and they're going to all be out on the course. We actually had some German exchange students live with us last year. We call them our German sons. They're going to be out on the course cheering and wearing their Lederhosen and they're just jacked to be here and it's a, it's it's like Brent said it's an amazing experience but it's just even furthered by the opportunity and how life works in those mysterious little ways and it's all going to come together on Sunday well good luck kill it out there and we'll see you at the finish line yeah thank That's you guys good. very much for this opportunity it's a pleasure to meet you both yeah thanks Kevin right I got Sausage Man Mr. Sausage. Mr. Sausage. <laughs> when, you, when you meet your partner, did you say, hey, I'm Mr. Sausage? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, well, whatever you got that nickname. Oh, you'll find out. Yeah. Uh, you What's s- a disappointment, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... So this year you're on, on the camp, but you're not racing. So what's yeah. the experience been like this time? Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I've done a few now where I've um, just supported as well, like on the epic camps and that. Yeah. So uh, I'm getting used to it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and what do you see as your role as a helper? Like obviously um, there's a practical, you know, message and stuff, but... Yeah, I think um, I try and be as cheerful as possible, just keep everyone happy. Um, just I think it's important just to try and do um, whatever's needed really to help them. If I was in their position, then I'd I'd like the same thing to happen to me. What, what, what do you think makes a good camp? A good camp, I think um, the campers are really important. Like if you get a good group, um, it, it's really easy to manage then. Um, good routes, they've got to be challenging. Um, you can make a camp too easy and then there's lots of free time and they don't get the same sense of achievement as if they really pushed themselves hard. Um, but they have, you've got to sort of temper that with it being achievable as well. Yeah, yeah, with the different levels as well, eh? Yeah, accommodation's important. It's got to be somewhere nice to stay. Um, good friendly group, um, all these little extra things as well like the support crew um, uh, uh, is important it's um, they're the ones who like keep it all going keep it all running and I think um, most people are really appreciative of it and they realize that there is a lot of work that goes into a camp yeah is it tiring because like, it's a long day for you guys oh yeah it is tiring um, I mean I'm up at five most days and go to bed at ten most nights half ten and they're, they're full days they're, they're packed with uh, something that's always going on but it's all good fun it's all, all enjoyable yeah you, you, you're a big home you're a physio just just to kind of on that front what's some advice you'd give to triathletes who are listening to this around you know some from the physio's perspective around how to be a better athlete yeah i think it's to prioritize uh, prevention rather than um reaction so make sure that you're uh you're keeping up with your mobility work, your strengthening, your strengthening work, um, you, that your training is well balanced. Um, obviously with triathlon and endurance sports, the risk of overtraining is uh, is great. So uh, yeah, for me, in the last couple of years, I've sort of really uh, found that strength and conditioning work is, is a key area for a lot of triathletes. The problem for triathletes is they do the whole, uh, I train so much, I don't have many time for that. Um, it's that mindset of, it's wise for me to do that, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, um, and like uh, when you spoke to Joe Skipper earlier about the strength and conditioning side of it, it's um, it's hard to prioritise that even for a professional athlete. They're busy guys. They have uh, um, their sport-specific training takes uh, a, obviously uh, a big part of their day. Um, 
but their key areas, their strength and conditioning, is uh, what will give you a longevity of a career. Yeah, definitely. Um, just in regards to um, this weekend's race, your thoughts around the pro races? Yeah, I've made my picks for the race. So, oh, tell us the picks. Uh, yeah, so I'm going uh, for the women's Lucy Charles. I think she's sort of um, the outstanding athlete in the field. As much as I'd like Laura Siddell to win, um, I, yeah, I can't sort of look too much further than Lucy Charles. Um, but I'm going a little bit out of the box with um, Andreas Dreitz for the men's. Um, oh, it is out of the box. Yeah. I think he's a really quality athlete. Um, he's had, uh, I think he's raced once before. He's uh, had a a comprehensive win in that race um, so yeah I see him as my outside pick nice nice. well good luck and uh, thanks for all the things you do on the campus and you gave me a back rub today as well which really helped because I've done my back but thank you <laughs> cheers magic hands <laughs> not just Mr Sausage did you tell him did you tell him that as well <laughs> Mr Sausage and magic hands yeah <laughs> it's a double barrel <laughs> double barrel back it up anyway, that's it for now John your thoughts Lucy Charles is going to be a weapon. Yeah, one thing that was really interesting, which I found pretty fascinating, was she, when she was talking at the media conference, and she's got an air of confidence about her, a bit like Daniela. Mm-hmm. You know, Daniela just has a presence which represents a confidence, whereas most pros play it down, you know, but, but she said, she literally said these words, I am a winner, mm. you know, and I thought it was quite a big statement. Well, especially, I remember we were at the Kona press conference uh, post-race a couple of years ago, and... I think it was like third, fourth, fifth. We're all talking. They were stoked with their races. And yeah. it was like they were talking like they never had a chance of winning, and they never would. Yeah. Um, whereas others who often finish in those places, they're sort of they're okay with their performance, but they they're there to win it. Yeah. And you kind of get that feeling with her that she's there to win. But you wouldn't have heard Bevan. The, the, uh, talk, she's talking run times. Her run times are really starting to come down. Mm. And once she becomes what thirty fourteen k. Yeah. Once yeah. you become a sub three hour runner. That's not going to win you Kona, but when you've got a weapon swim and if you can ride strongly, you know, if we're looking for people that might be able to challenge Daniela Reef, um, you know, she's going to have a few minutes on her in the swim and she kept up for, you know, a long time on the bike last year. And Daniela Reef is not a, you know, 240 runner, two, you know, no, Marinda Carfrey type runner. So, you know, uh, she's, I think she's not in, in Daniela Reef zone yet she's only 24 she's She's going to improve a lot quickly over the next few years so could be uh, her partner okay Mm. and the other thing that you won't have heard Bevan is she hasn't ruled out going to do short course and I think she'd be extremely good at short course because she's going to be at the front you know probably at the front or very very close to the front it runs it's it's good she's not gonna be winning races straight away but again She's only been doing the sport for a couple of years, yeah. so I think there's a lot of scope for improvement. Okay, so and, and, and for the sport, like Daniela is so dominant right now, it'd be good to see a challenge. Mm. You know, no, Rini, you know, definitely. There's a couple of girls, you know, maybe if Joyce came back to peak form, there's a couple of girls who could push it, but it's more Daniela has a bad day. Well, I want to see someone who's going to turn up and those who's mm. going gun to gun. Absolutely. Okay, John, so uh, we'll be back tomorrow. What's happening today, John? So today is Friday for us. We've been down and checked out the swim course. Glad we got there on pretty good time because it got pretty busy later on. The canal is uh, significantly colder than previous years. Um, so it's not freezing, but it's not um, warm. I think it was, I'd be guessing it would have been 18, 18 or 19 degrees, so not, uh, not crazy hot. Forecast for Sunday is actually now improved, so it's going to be a bit cooler, so good racing conditions. So hopefully we see some fast times. Okay, we'll be back tomorrow. We've got some more interviews coming your way tomorrow. And then on race day, we won't be releasing a show on race day, but we'll have all the post-race interviews and the story of the day 
probably the next morning. So, you know, we've got lots of more content coming your way over the next couple of days. So anyway, John, let's wrap it up. Oh. Um, yeah, we can only show tomorrow. But just remember, there will be live coverage. Uh, it will be in English in terms of the, the challenge coverage. So check it out. It should be could be quite an interesting race. And lastly, uh, sponsors. Extreme Endurance. Galactic Buffer. And I've had Adam, Adam Flipper-Philby was telling me, you know, he's been on the Extreme Endurance this week and hasn't had sore legs at all. Oh, so Life-changing. Life-changing. And Tanya Pora. And you, just saw, you heard the interview earlier on, so good stuff from there. Uh, let's wrap it up, John. Oh, oh, lastly, patrons. Big thank you to all the patrons. Absolutely. Uh, and Iron Rusts. I mean, don't train hard. You got distracted then. What were you distracted yep. by? And a flipper Philby walked past. Oh, he's just a the sharp character that he is. <laughs> uh, I mean, don't train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.